then just to um before we, we actually do start because we're going to be talking about our friends in the media again i'm just going to watch the the viewer numbers just start to dip now <laughs> oh you're talking about the media again yeah it's all i really talk about on stream now yeah 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 i used to play games and have fun and stuff but i just don't do that anymore i just talk about the media all the fucking time yeah it's all right rich yeah it's late it's late mate it's late actually you're on these um you are, yeah, you're on these weird NA times. No, but I'm deliberately going for EU times now. Nah, it's all right, mate. See ya. You're talking about the media again. But uh, I don't know if you caught this, because um, there was just some weird fucking shit going on over in... Uh, the, there's this uh, video dude um, like that makes videos for Kotaku, right? And I, I, I like... Does everybody... It, like is it and this this will lead into what the main topic is but is everybody in like the mainstream media like an absolute emotionally fragile train wreck of a human because it kind of seems that way at, at this stage and yet yeah, there you go everyone's like you can see what kind of delay i've got on the stream yes yes yeah they are aren't they um there's very few, there's very few examples to the contrary i think so I, I look like okay i'll just take you into this this is a guy called tim rogers and he makes uh videos for kotaku uh, kotaku's youtube page and he did a complete review of the entire pokemon series because pokemon sword and shield are out i mean i also just will interject here and say i host all of my friends on my uh, twitch channel right that's like just something you do that's nice for people i don't know how many of you have got into my like friends' streams through doing that but you know they're all good people but i will just say there's something fundamentally wrong watching vince play pokemon uh it, it, you know i i turned on my own stream the other day right and there's a giant geordie man with a beard <laughs> like a big grizzly man and he's playing like you know these two little cartoon monsters fighting each other it's like vince mate it's like it's not things aren't this bad i know that they're not paying i know to's aren't paying anyone again but please it doesn't it doesn't have to be like this vince it doesn't have to be like this you don't have to play pokemon vince you're you're in your 30s it's <laughs> pokemon time is over you know if it should ever have begun so but i do love him um and i've seen all of the criticisms again i'm, I'm actually working on a, a scripted video I've, I've got a bunch of scripted videos coming up and one of the ones i'm doing is i'm talking about how all of these big development studios basically hate you the consumer and they cut corners on all of their big products and the, the games that I've been using as examples for this, like the, the latest version of WWE over on 2K, to, you know, WWE 2020 or whatever, 2K20, whatever the fuck it's called, it was an abomination on launch. The fact that somebody went in and data mined uh, Sword and Shield and found that they used models, they just recycled models from the previous game is ridiculous uh same with nba over at 2k when i think about how great 2k studios used to be i remember playing their sports games back in the day and thinking holy shit look how good and detailed and 
what a wonderful experience these sports games are you know realistic motion and models and simulations and this really gives EA Sports a run for its money, especially since we all know EA Sports really started dropping off after 2006. Now you think about where they are, and it's just an absolute nightmare. It's just a horror show, and they don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck because there's enough morons out there pre-ordering their shit year upon year, and even enough more morons engaging in all the microtransaction bullshit. And that's that. You know, in you've seen the scene in Fight Club, right? Where um, they they're talking about what the the protagonist's job is, and he basically explains how it's his job to apply the formula. And the formula is: does it cost? If if a car has a problem where a certain amount of those cars will cause fatal accidents, if the payouts for the families that die in those accidents are greater than the cost of a recall, then they will do the recall, and only then. But if it isn't, they don't, and they leave the cars out there, and people die. That is pretty much how the games industry operates now. That's how the average game dev thinks about their product. If it's shit, and, and people complain, and it gets negative reviews, in the past, that used to be a motivation to up your game, change it. It's not anymore. Not even low Metacritic scores matter. They simply look at the, you know, spreadsheet. And if enough people pre-order the next version, and they make enough money on microtransactions in the current version, then they will not improve the next version. They'll just improve ways to make money from the next version, and you get a worse game. And if you ever asked yourself, God, these series, they seem to get worse year upon year. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's why. Because people keep pre-ordering and dumping fucking thousands into microtransactions. Anyway. So he did this review of Poke. I don't know why I even went off on that tangent. Just something to say in it. But it's all true. Uh, he did this review of Pokemon Sword versus Shield. And it, well, of, of the entire Pokemon series, including... Pokemon uh, Sword vs. Shield, and this is why it's topical, because that game's come out. But that game's come out, and a lot of people are quite rightly pissed off because they've been served up a substandard product. Now, me, being a grown man, I don't play Pokemon, Vince. I don't. <laughs> Nor would I. And, and I'm too old. I missed the boat the first time around. The only thing I know about Pokemon is through my little brother, who... I took to a Pokemon card game event in London one time, you know, bought him a bunch of the stuff, the Pokedex and all of that, and took him to see the Mewtwo film in the cinema, where it was just me and a bunch of depressed, like, weekend dads. <laughs> it was kids all enjoying the movie, heads, like, down here in the chairs, and I'm just looking around, and it was just weekend dads looking defeated by life and me. <laughs> so just, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a big brother. It's um, my life's <laughs> decidedly better than yours. I'm a big brother. I haven't gone through a bit of divorce. Um, my kids don't secretly resent me because I don't have any kids. So nice one, uh, nice one, weekend dads. But anyway, that's all I really know. So I could tell you a little bit about you know the the first gen of pokemon red and blue 
but that's about it. And then obviously, because I'm not sick, <laughs> I grew out, you know, I didn't ever, I was never in it to grow out of it. So I just left it alone, left it where it belongs. So anyway, um, he does this video and obviously it's a contentious topic, right? So people, people leave contentious comments. And just look, this video has been live for less than an hour and I've already deleted 14 hateful comments. 14, that's more than 10 guys. That's four more than 10 to be precise. So it looks like people everywhere continue to have completely normal opinions about this video game for children and then he just throws in i'm a i'm no i'm a child to be honest okay good good covered yourself there guys i can't believe that you're getting upset about this game for children which i'm being paid to review as an adult oh by the way i'm a child good save good save um but 14 comments guys 14 fuck outrageous and then you're like well what are these hateful comments what are these hateful comments? I've been called a paid shill. <laughs> a pay I've been called a paid shill nine times in 60 minutes. He's timing all of this, guys. Because I said it's pretty smart they make you choose one version over the other, and wow. It's neat, you can only get the starters at the beginning of the game. Now listen, whether or not you're a paid shill, sir, people, when, okay, when the aim of the game is gotta catch them all, I, I imagine that's still, <laughs> I imagine that's still the Pokemon catchphrase, right? Because... It's, listen, if you ever want to look at a, 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 a incredible subliminal marketing campaign that just fucking worms its way into children's brains and turns them into fevered consumers, got to catch them all is, it's perfect. Whoever came up with that is a marketing genius. The aim of the game, got to catch them all. Is it easy to catch them all? No, it's incredibly time-consuming. And you'll have to buy two copies of the game. And you'll have to hook up and trade it all with your friends. And in each version, all isn't just 100, 200. We're just going to bump it up. 500, 800, 1,000. You see? And the kids, they want to catch them all. Because you got to. Says so right there in the game title. Got to catch them all. If you don't, all your friends will laugh at you. They're, they've caught them all, your part-timer. So, there is no getting away from the fact, right? That the fact you have to have two copies of the game to enjoy a full experience, you can only get starters at the beginning, all the other nonsense that goes on around it. That is kind of, you know, cynical marketing. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, listen. If I was Mr. Pokemon... Mr. P. Okamon, and I was sat on my pile of money that I'd got from marketing to <laughs> marketing to children using fear of missing out. 
I'd be like, this is great. Let's do another. Let's do a version every year. Where they? Oh, thanks a lot, Welbers, for the gifted subs. Where we? Where we've got to? Where you got to catch them all again? It's every year. In fact, let's make it that on the date the new version comes out, your old Pokedex in the previous version, if it connects to the internet at all in any way, shape, or form, it's instantly deleted. Boop! You lose everything. You will buy the new version. You will give me your money. I'm Mr. P.O. Come on. But defending practices like that, right? Thanks a lot, Scoop. Appreciate the five gifted subs. The the practices of that are inarguably cynical. Just saying. So if you come out and say it's smart, the less intelligent people in your audience, which is a percentage of them, I'd put about 20% of your audience is a moron, um, they're going to not look at the nuance. <laughs> and they're just going to say you're a paid chill. And paid chill is a really mild insult. I'd love... To get called a paid shill on a regular basis. I'd love it. Paid shill. I can take that. Anyway. On he goes. When did the word paid get super glued onto the word shill? We don't really need that there. It's like calling someone a bad YouTube commenter. So you see what he did there, okay? I'll explain the joke, cause I'm pretty um, I'm pretty intelligent myself, so I I can see, um, I, I you know I can see what he's what he's done here. So what he's done is he's tried to like make a point um, about English and how the word paid is superfluous, because generally if you shill for somebody, you're doing it in exchange for money or some other form of good or service, right? And then that was misdirection. And what he really wanted to say was, all YouTube commenters are bad. Now, I'll be generous and say that the nine people who called him a paid shill weren't included in the 14 comments. So on a YouTube video for a huge gaming website, on a hugely popular franchise at the time of the release of a new game designed for maximum exposure he's had a grand total of 23 negative comments and on that basis he has decided to say anyone who comments on his video or indeed the entirety of YouTube are bad now far be it from me to suggest that this individual might not be emotionally equipped for public-facing content. It's probably not his thing. But then... <laughs> then the hysteria just, it cranks up. Because these people, these games journalists, they live in a, they live in a world that you just cannot understand, and you will never be able to understand it. I can't understand it. They live in a world, right, where they want it to be something else, but they can't be. So they settled upon this career choice, this career trajectory, making videos, blogging, reviewing games, 
And it slowly dawns on them somewhere along the line that they're never going to be important, really, in the grand scheme of things. So they try and insert the odd little thing here and there. Secretly, deep down, they're trying to use it as a stepping stone for something better. And with each passing day, and each passing week, and each passing month, and each passing year that they don't get there, it just wears them down. And over time, the only way that they can get through their day-to-day -day of just having to realize that they are becoming more and more irrelevant with each passing moment is they must create a fantasy. And the fantasy is this, that they are the only good human beings on the internet, that they have the power to push back the tides of evil, right-wing reactionaries, Nazis, racists, misogynists, homophobes, pretty much, you know, gamers, as they think, right? And that doing this is as dangerous as the journalists that go to Mexico and write about the cartel or paramilitary groups in South America or people who go and cover ISIS. They think it's that dangerous. And this is how you end up with tweets like this. I'm not going to lie. Every time I post a video, someone in the comments manages to inch me even closer to the realization that yes, one of them is going to literally kill me someday. You'll notice, not figuratively, <laughs> not potentially, literally. Now, listen, you're going to go, Richard, you're a hypocrite, <laughs> right? Because you don't go to esports events anymore. You, you're paranoid about getting killed. Now, to be fair to me, which I'll always be, because I am biased towards me, I have had actual death threats from felons. So, I arrived at that decision after multiple credible death threats. It wasn't because somebody on YouTube said I was a paid shill. You see, so, little bit, little bit different. Oh, I know you were going to bring it up, chat. You think you're, you, you guys... Sober Rich is so far ahead of all of you. You'll never put me in a logic headlock. I won't do it. No, 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 no. No, doesn't work. So I beat you. Beat you with that one, didn't I? But anyway, this guy honestly thinks over making a Pokemon video and people saying, hey, you're supporting some pretty unpleasant practices there, homeboy, that somebody in those comments will literally kill him one day. Seems a reasonable assumption, doesn't it? Then, <laughs> I am not feeling good about a lot of stuff today. But that's a, that is very well evidenced, Mr. Rogers. Uh, I'm going to delete this whole YouTube comment thread here in about five minutes. Didn't, of course, because it blew up and got attention. Let me reply live here on Twitter. So, 
somebody positively replied to him on Kotaku saying, I like your work. Please quit Kotaku, Tim. Don't sink with that ship. Now, listen, as we all know, when the whole Deadspin thing happened and all Kotaku's journalists came out and basically LARPed as if Kotaku was getting shut down when it never was, prompting dozens of YouTubers to make videos going like, ding dong, the witch is dead, Kotaku's over. No, 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 they were just attention-seeking guys. There, there's no, Kotaku's, there's no discussion about it closing down anytime soon. So, so sorry guys, they were just a bunch of attention-seeking losers all at the same time, almost as if... That's just the M.O. of the average games journalist. But this reply is from the official Kotaku uh, YouTube channel where the video was housed. Now this, this, everything's fine at Kotaku, guys. There's no problem culturally over there. You know, there's no problem. You saw the reaction I got from Cecilia for paying her a compliment. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with these people. They are fine. They are well-adjusted. Um, this is the official Kotaku YouTube channel. Do you have any idea how monstrously insulting to me this comment is? Right? That's Tim. First of all, Kotaku is a profitable website whose owners love profit. So this ship is not sinking outside of its reputation with people who get their news via the insipid 30-minute monologues of an idiot who purposely misreads things loudly. Right? Now, I think... I think that is actually the quartering that they're talking about. And let me tell you, knowing Jeremy, and having spoke to Jeremy, he doesn't purposely misread things. It's not on purpose. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. He's been very nice to me lately. But I do think calling him an idiot is a bit strong. I think calling them 30-minute monologues is an outrage. His average video is, you know, I, I want to say 20 minutes. And, and to say he purposely misreads things... No, he's accidentally misread a few things sometimes. One time he put me down in one of his videos as a social justice warrior. So, you know, you you can... Um, sometimes nuance gets lost, doesn't it, on the internet. Not his fault. He apologised, he retracted it. Thank you, Welbers TV. Anyway, furthermore, if improbably this website did vanish tomorrow, so what? What are you trying to say? Are you saying if I stayed at this job until the website disappeared or closed, then that would somehow ruin my chances of getting another job or independently making videos? How exactly would that work? Oh, the confidence. The supreme confidence of the games journalist. <laughs> they just know that if your publication goes bust, there is a safety net of other equally shit publications just waiting to catch you. Yeah, we're hemorrhaging money too. Don't worry. This idea that Kotaku is in any way profitable, uh, like, seems hilarious to me. But, but okay, whatever. 
yes, just parachute down into this new website until that one goes bust, and then that one goes bust, and you parachute down into another, and then that one goes bust, and then you parachute down into another, and you will always have a job. The games journalist knows that the clique will protect its own and will gather around and all they'll always find work among other shit publications being propped up by VC because they write about the things that the progressive VC group want them to write about. Excellent. Perfect. If you like my videos, thanks. Probably could have started with that. It was a fan. <laughs> it was a fan expressing concern for your career. So probably could have, you, you know, again, I'm, I'm a writer. So, you know, I think about, you know, maybe the order of things sometimes. Though by logically connecting Kotaku's hypothetical demise to my own, you're essentially telling me I have no talent outside of the brand name that pays my rent. And that is disgustingly insulting to me, to be perfectly honest. Thanks for the five gifted subs, Chromium Cheetah. Um, so I don't know why he's equating talent to money because we all know that doesn't match up. Oh, I'd be the wealthiest. Am I right? Okay. No, we all know that doesn't match up. We all know that doesn't match up at all. Um, and to say that he his fan is like he's just saying don't go down with this sinking shit please like i like your content you're going well you're, you're insulting me because you're saying i couldn't i couldn't get another job no he's saying the opposite because in telling you to leave he's telling you to go and get another job and obviously in telling you to do that he obviously believes you could so you've done a bit of a 180 on the intention of the comment there almost as if you were a hysterical man that shouldn't really be in any public facing capacity at all because you're too emotionally fragile to deal with it. Thank you for the five dollars. Jinup five. Kotaku is a pretty <laughs> It's brilliant. This works on so many levels. Kotaku is a pretty good website. It just it just works on so many levels because he couldn't bring himself to say great or very good. Or even just good. He had to sort of say it was pretty good. Like, the on the official Kotaku, using the official Kotaku YouTube channel comment, he couldn't... Put, put it this way, right? Okay, let me, let me put it in, a, um, let me put it in a, a way we can all understand. Okay, we can all understand this. Um, I'm sure. If you can't understand it, don't worry. It's okay. But this is an adult stream. So we talk about adult things on my adult stream. You've had sex with somebody, right? You thought it was, you know, amazing. And you're pretty sure they had a good time too. And you're one of those people who craves feedback. Because sometimes you do need it, I'd say. It's an essential component of getting to a, a good place and being able to pleasure your partner. So you ask... How was that? And they say, pretty good. <laughs> You'd be fucking devastated with that. You'd be fucking devastated with that. If they looked up, you went, 
pretty good. Pretty good. You would have to go for a walk around the fucking block. You would you would need time to recover from pretty good. So the idea that a guy who is trying to defend the site and say their say good things about them can only manage pretty good is hilarious. It's hilarious at face value because we all know Kotaku isn't a pretty good website, is it? I mean, it just objectively isn't. If it ever was, it certainly isn't now. You should try reading it instead of letting a third-hand mouth breather histrionically misread it to you. Again, points for projection because you're the one in histrionics. You literally tweeted that someone who comments on your YouTube video will one day inevitably kill you <laughs> like it's a kung fu movie and you killed their master many decades prior. <laughs> uh, so that is histrionics. Somebody saying don't sink with the ship is, is not histrionics, but, but okay, fine. Um, mouth breather. Now listen, guys. I am gonna go, I'm gonna do some fucking Kotaku judo. And what you do with Kotaku judo is, you take their principles and their values that they hold you to, and when they come in, you go, Wahaha! you make a karate noise, even though it's judo, and you flip them, you use their own attack against them. Now, I'm pretty sure this guy likes to think of himself as a progressive, but I'm going to tell you something, mouth breather, very problematic. Ableist language, that is. Do you know why? The word mouth breather comes from people that suffer from mental impairment and mental problems that causes them to, for their jaws to loll and the struggle to breathe in a way that somebody without that impairment would. So... What might seem a bit of fun to him, calling people a mouth breather, it's actually deeply upsetting, isn't it, to the to the parents, for example, of a child that has such issues. So very disappointed in him for saying that, really, because somebody that used to work in a school for children that were differently abled and had developmental issues, being, you know, I, I, I just think of that time fondly and how pure and innocent and fun those kids could be. Divorced from all of the nonsense that we live with. And to see a Kotaku journalist call them a mouth breather, well, I'm, it just goes to show, doesn't it? What these people think. So, he's had a perfectly normal one. And then what I always love, at the end of the absolute meltdown of all meltdowns, 
when they always have these public meltdowns, literally saying a YouTube commenter will kill me one day. They always then try to show you, <laughs> you thought I was having a meltdown, but no, I am really unfazed by all of this. See? Anyway, I'm making a new video now. Bye. Look, I've got a cute little Pomeranian dog and I'm surrounded by toys. And then just to also show you, haha, look, I'm going to give you pretty much the same picture twice, but one with me looking a bit more docile. And here I am stroking the dog. I don't care. You didn't get to me. Definitely not spewing. Wasn't having a meltdown, sir. Ridiculous. Tim Rogers, ladies and gentlemen, from Action Button. Oh, man. Like, I don't know. It's just... Word of advice, and then we'll move on to the real topic we're going to talk about today. Whiskey's on standby. Word of advice to any of you. If you ever get this jaded in anything you're doing... If you've ever convinced yourself, like let's say you're working in a checkout, in a, you know, on the checkouts in a store, and you know, you know the people who, fucking people who come in the shop give you their items, and you go beep beep beep, I'll be twenty pounds, please. If you ever become convinced <laughs> that one of those people will one day just come in and kill you, probably should just quit that job. Really, it's it's probably getting to you. It's probably starting to way down on your psyche in a very unhealthy fashion you should take you should at least have a break that's some good real life advice that i'm trying to give you there okay because i look after my viewers never let it be said otherwise mm. all right wash the coffee out my mouth time for a whiskey scotch today nothing fancy just monkey shoulder it's cheap but you know can't be can't be great stuff all of the time right then what are we going to talk about today okay so journalists i told you we were talking about the media <laughs> this was the fun part right now we're going to get a little bit serious we're going to do a deep dive into how twitter is going to change to protect the verified blue checks that we all know make Twitter the shithole it is. You see, it's not you guys that make Twitter bad. Even if I have you blocked. Even if I have you blocked. And I'm going to say, I'll say this. Because I can block you. If you're an asshole to me, and you, yeah, 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 <laughs> block me, man. I play Overwatch, block me. I just, I, I hit the block button, and you cease to exist. And that's wonderful. <laughs> just wonderful. You will never exist in, you know, my brain again. So that's great. Fixes everything. The problem we have is if you were a blue check, you get to drive the inane, trending bullshit that everybody talks about. You dictate the hashtags every day. A variant of Orange Man Bad, Impeach Orange Man, Impeach Orange Man Now. Now is the time to impeach Orange Man every day. It's the blue checks. 
that make Twitter a hellscape. It's the blue checks that dig into your old tweets and fucking blow them up and talk about them and the special privileges afforded to having a blue check which basically means your replies always jump to the top of the queue that's why you have those trump reply guys the deranged journalists and resistance people that every time donald trump tweets the phone wakes him up at 3 a.m fuck trump's tweeting i must be the first i must be the first the people that sued donald trump for blocking them on Twitter because they said it negatively affected their careers because they couldn't reply to him anymore. All of them, American, most of them, journalists, all of them, progressive to the point of ridiculousness. And they are responsible, that 10% of the user base of Twitter is responsible for over 90% of the tweets on the entire platform. It is shit because of these people. So the relationship between Twitter and the journalists is incredible because all of the tech journalists, all the verified blue checks, they all have this like, you know, they all know somebody over there. So whenever you tweet any criticism at them, your account is up to be banned, not just blocked. It's not enough that they block you. Help, help. Somebody said, my opinion is bad. You, you will be banned for that on Twitter. It happens all the time. It's not hyperbole. There'll be many of you in the chat that have had multiple Twitter accounts. And I bet by show of hands, there will be a significant number of people watching now who had a Twitter account banned for mocking a blue check at some point. It's just the way it goes. So... Where does all this come from? Where does all this start? Let me take you back in time. During a recession, during the changes that we had in the, well, I say recession, a, d a dip in the economy for certain industries, in particular those in fossil fuels, journalists decided en masse to say to people who were minors that, listen, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your way of life disappearing. Don't worry about the march of progress and change. Just simply move with it. Which, by the way, it's okay to apply that to people who've been minors for 50 years. Um... Apparently not okay to apply that to anyone else on planet Earth. <laughs> See if you can think of some examples. No, no, no. You, you, you just got to roll with the punches on this one, guys. So why not learn to code? Why not learn to code? So we had this plethora of articles because, as I tell you all the time on this stream, and in case you knew, because, again, we got new people coming in all the time. I'll just repeat it briefly. These journalists are not independent thinkers. The people in the journalist set, the Blue Check Brigade, they sit on Slack groups, they sit in Google messages, they sit in discords, and they all communicate with each other. So you will never see one article independent 
uh, you know, expressing something independently. It'll always be at least four articles. It'll always be at least four articles all at once. And what they do is, by virtue of those four articles appearing within a short space of time with each other, they all go, well, look, it's obviously real. It's obviously a thing. That article says it, that article says it, and that article says it, and my article says it. But they all agreed clandestinely prior to that that they were all going to write an article on that topic to, to do a full court press to fool you into thinking that this is significant. There's an old saying among bad journalists, and that is if that you can point to three examples of something, you can call it a trend. <laughs> so just think about that. And then think about how these articles always come out in clusters. See, I'm dishing. I'm dishing all the big secrets here. So, and of course, yes, just in case you, you haven't figured out, if you can point to three examples of something, no, you can't call it a trend. Because we have access to more information and more examples by virtue of that than we ever had before. So... When you see these non-stories, and it's like, gamers are rising up, <laughs> and it's like three accounts with less than 100 followers between them saying the stupid thing, journalists will take that, run with that, pretend that's the majority mindset, and misrepresent it for hate clicks. So no, <laughs> three examples is not a trend. A Trend is a trend. A significant amount of people doing something all at once at the same time is a trend. But anyway, is learning to code the answer to the plight of struggling coal miners? For business partners, Rusty Justice, that's a porn star name. <laughs> um, can we? <laughs> oh my god, it's Rusty Justice, the fucking gay porn star. That's like... That is not, I'm, I am, okay, if I ever do Dungeons and Dragons, guys, I am a gay barbarian called Rusty Justice. There we go. Mm. For business partners, Rusty Justice and M. Lynn Parrish, it's at least one solution. So, um, just to let you guys know, uh, this isn't a new development, by the way, because I'm old enough. I was around, um, you know, when my, the mining community I lived in was basically being thatchered to death. Uh, and I remember the, you know, the back end of the miners' strike as a very young kid and the subsequent aftermath. And guess what the mi guess what miners were, were told then? People in my generation, uh, people in my family were told, learn to type, get an office job. Now, I don't know how many miners you guys know. Let me tell you a little bit about working down in the mines. It's not very nice, it's dark, <laughs> it's full of dust, you uh, inhale all sorts of crazy shit, it's potentially fatal if you get a collapse down there, um, and there's a lot of industrial diseases related to mining. You get black lung, it's obviously a, a common one, you get this thing, is it called pneumoconiosis or something? No, that, that can't be right, or is it pneumoconiosis maybe? Anyway, but the, the uh, pneumatic drill, and it fuck you get what a dead white finger from the constant shaking and you can't move it properly fucks you all up anyway i've seen all these diseases firsthand so 
first of all, not a high barrier for education to be a miner. That much is true. But you don't need it to be. You need to understand mining. So you, so you don't die. You have to understand safety. You have to understand how to detect gas leaks or likelihood of a cave-in or what different types of, uh, you know, if shale and coal and all that that's coming through. So you get an idea about when you're going to hit like certain types of rock and maybe gas pockets and things like this. This is what you have to understand. And when you've learned that trade and done it religiously for 30 years, the idea of coming out and then moving into an entirely different trade isn't going to cut it. And I'll tell you a story. It's not much of a story, but I'll just set the scene. I remember it vividly as a kid. I remember we were sat there and one of the kids got took away. And we were like, what's happened there? Is he in trouble? You know, what's going on? We were very, very young. And we saw the kid crying and being taken with all of his brothers in the school in different years. They were crying and they were all being taken out. We all had a look out the window and they went to the front gate of the school and they met their mother there and she was crying and they went away and what had happened was their fa the father who had been a miner and had lost his job when the pit closures and hadn't been able to retrain and couldn't get a job and couldn't provide for his family anymore had hung himself that morning when everybody went to work and school because he felt desperate and lost so when you flippantly say Learn to code. You know, the mine closures devastated mining communities, obviously. These men felt useless. They felt like anachronisms. But it's okay. So here we are in the present day. Learn to code. That's what they're being told. Learn to code. Learn to code. So there was this. Learn to code, right? Prior to that, 2016, I think this uh, is uh, a good summary of it from a guy called Alex Van Nesh. You can see here. So that's the one I just showed you. Uh, learn to code. Uh, this is Bloomberg. Appalachian miners are learning to code. Okay, 2016. Uh, from coal to code, said the NPR, also in 2016. A new path for laid off miners in Kentucky. Uh, CBS News, out of work coal miners find new work in computer industry and then just to give you uh and i just to, you know further proof that this wasn't just like uh, four articles there was other ones as well uh i believe wired had one but i think i got another image of kind of a collage of all of the uh, uh big ones all of the big stories learn to code so just to show you here we go again yeah can you can you teach a coal miner to code that's like really fucking insulting isn't it can you teach a subhuman to be human? Yeah, brilliant. Nice one. Wired. Yeah, big fan of that. Uh, you can see bit source building a coal to code mentality in Appalachia, Kentucky. There was this. So this was the journalist's answer. Let's just go out there and, you know, hey, you guys just learn the code. It's fine. Just learn the code. So let's fast forward a little bit. Okay, as you guys know, there have been a ton of layoffs in digital media, just a ton of them, um, because these, these uh, publications are not profitable. They don't make money, because ultimately it's people writing about garbage, <laughs> and um, 
there's not a lot of you know there's not there's not really any money in that you have to get enough you have to wind people up to the point where they click without ad block and work on it so when all these layoffs started happening savvy internet commenters decided to say to the journalists that were the victim of the layoffs learn to code learn to code and what's wrong with that it should be easier for a tech savvy modern journalist to learn to code than an appellation miner right do we agree with that so what was the reaction do you think from these blue checks do you think they said well, you know, we have gloated in the past when huge swathes of industry has been shut down because we believe as effet intellectuals, we're better than the blue collar in America. We're the people that couldn't conceive of a Trump victory because we've never been to the Rust Belt. We've never been to a red state. We sit in California and New York and we think and, and Washington and we think that is the whole world that's all of America and anybody that doesn't fit into our little cliques and our way of life with cocktail bars and you know laptop coffee mornings is is inferior to us do you think they then went oh you know learn to code that's reasonable suppose we do sort of deserve that no you see they're blue checks and they're journalists so they have to be a protected class on every form of social media that they're on they have to be protected by the platforms so this is what lights the torch paper ben popkin from nbc news learn to code was tweeted at me by a sketchy account I reported it as abusive behavior as part of targeted harassment. Twitter suspended the account within 20 minutes. Journalists, if they, meaning anyone else on Twitter, tweet, learn to code at you, don't stay silent. Take a moment to report it. What is it? Sexual abuse? No. It's somebody saying, hey, losing your job? Maybe you can just learn to code and get another job. Ha ha, remember how you said that about the miners? On he goes. Twitter will review it. And if they determine it violates their rules against abusive behavior, they will take action. Ha ha, I don't care. These are journalists, by the way. These are mature adults, apparently. These people are better than you. Ha ha ha, I don't care. And my feelings aren't hurt if you tweet learn to code at me. I used to enter in QBasic programs from the back of 321 Contact and wrote a homework keeper on my TI-83. Ah, memories. Terms he's just Googled. Then I got interested in other things. What I'm interested in here is a coordinated or inauthentic attack directed at laid-off journalists alongside pictures of people hanged and so forth. And if those people feel harassed, they should avail themselves of the same tools any user has to control their Twitter experience. Then he goes on and mentions Gamergate because it's everything to these people. Again, 99.999 recurring. 
99.9999 to infinity recurring percent of people on planet Earth don't even know what Gamergate is. Let alone the inaccurate version of it peddled by these lunatics on the internet. But to these people, they think it is a significant and important cultural touchstone. In fact, and I've said this many times in the past, to the average journalist, to the average blue check, Gamergate is their Vietnam. They served in it. They sit around in their bars, nursing drinks. Uh, what's up with you, man? I did five years in Gamergate, man. I did five years in Gamergate. Shit, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How many times do people tweet learn a code at you? I don't want to talk about it, man. It was Gamergate. One minute there I was just happily tweeting at Anita Sarkeesian saying, oh my god, you're, you're a savior, and the next thing, a gamer just came out of nowhere and told me to learn how to code. That's the world they live in. It's their Vietnam. They served in it. You'll notice Talia Lavin in there saying, oh, I just wrote an article about this. Let's have a look at the article, guys. See if you can guess what's going to be said here. Ooh, this seems like a nice, non-biased and informative title over at the New Republic. The fetid right-wing origins of Learn to Code. There's some belters in here, right? Last Thursday, I received the news that the HuffPost opinion section, where I'd been opining on a weekly basis for a few months, had been axed in its entirety. The same opinion column had had a home at the Village Voice for some 21 weeks before that entire publication shuttered as well. This business sucks, I tweeted, chagrined at the simple fact that I kept losing my column because of the cruel, ongoing shrinkage of independent journalism in the United States. Pro tip, write things people want to read. It definitely helps longevity. Get into, you know, become an expert in a field. Try that. Instead of just throwing up the same inane opinions as all of your peers because you're too scared to say anything different to your peers because then they will utterly destroy you in the same way your marauding roaming cliques destroy anyone else on the internet. Understand homogeneity of thought is actually an illusion. I, why do I get tipped off when these journalists are up to no good? Because I know good journalists that only impersonate bad journalists. They don't want to be what they are, but they have to pretend to be that because now they're in too deep. It is a gang. It is a cartel. It is a cabal. You cannot get out. <laughs> you can never break free once you're in or they will get all of the fucking, they'll leak your own fucking emails and all the Slack chat you've said. They'll fuck you over in ways you cannot conceive of. So you've just got to ride it out. But plenty of journalists, actually, you'd be amazed. Are like, fuck, I'm really sick and tired of having to write demonstrably false nonsense just to tick a box and fit in with all of my peers. Dozens of jobs were slashed at the Huffington Post that day. The Huffington Post, by the way, a massively 
over bloated fetid to use your word corpse of an organization that has too many people on the books to begin with people i've never even heard of that used to pay insane amounts for opinion columns nobody read probably the issue is the business model itself but whatever Dozens of jobs were slashed at HuffPost that day, following a round of layoffs at Gannett Media. Further jobs were about to be disappeared at BuzzFeed. It was a grim day for the media, which, by the way, is a great day for all of us. And I just wanted to channel my tiny part of the prevailing gloom. Then the responses started rolling in. Some sympathy from fellow journalists and readers. Then an irritating gush of near-identical responses. Learn to code. Maybe learn to code. Better learn to code, then. Learn to code, you useless bitch. Alongside these tweets were others. Stop writing fake news and crap. Marga. Of course, get the Trump mention in there. Your opinions suck, and no one wants to read them. Lameo. Journalists are evil, wicked cretins. I wish you were all jail and afraid. I looked at the mentions of my editors who had also been laid off after years at the Huffington Post and of other journalists who had lost their jobs. There they were, the swarm of commenters with the same little cabuncular message, learn to code. Now, you'll notice immediately Talia Lavin, who by the way, as I'll demonstrate, is somebody who is a serial fantasist and conspiracy theorist and a terrible, terrible journalist you will you will uh, notice that her immediate thought process here because this is how they all think it must the people cannot hate us it, again it's like the emperor that lives in the castle and never goes outside except when he has those processions where he's surrounded by armed guards and anybody that shows dissent will be killed on sight and they're all cheering and the emperor's going look everybody loves me no, Emperor. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, there's many people that w would w wish you weren't around. <laughs> you know, it's your. You know, it's this deluded um, version of reality. So we'll jump ahead. What's a brigade attack? It has to be coordinated. They can't believe that actually just a lot of people dislike them because they are thoroughly dislikable people and they engage in thoroughly dislikable practices and they enjoy a protected and elite status on every social media platform that they inhabit while simultaneously dunking on the average person. They do not believe that people could dislike them. What's a brigade attack, you may ask? It's a rather dramatic name for coordinated harassment, usually migrating from one social media site to another, often hatched in the internet's right-wing cesspools, because again, you can't be left-wing and dislike journalists, you see. You can't be. You must be right-wing to dislike these people. These campaigns unleash a massive harassment on unsuspecting targets. 4chan's poll board, a gathering place for people who want to say the N-word freely, vilify feminists and opine on nefarious Jewish influence, has an oversized role in organizing brigade attacks. By the way, you can also just tell the fucking new 4chan normies when they, when they don't remember when poll was basically like 
Antifa on steroids <laughs> when it was smashed the system. I remember because I am not an inauthentic journalist that only engages on the internet when, uh, when it suits me to. I have an understanding of internet culture. I'm sure many of you guys do too. And it's been an evolution over there. And the pendulum will swing back. Yes, it's edgy right-wing bullshit now. But it used to be even edgier left-wing bullshit just a few years ago. It's pole. It's contrarian. That's pretty much the point. It's edgy contrarianism jacked up by anonymous people. General description of the history. I mean, again, imagine doing this. Imagine because people to told you to learn to code, you write an article of like 2,500 you know, words, and in the middle of it, you explain what brigading is. <laughs> because again, it must be coordinated. We'll go down here. She starts getting into it. She really thinks she's a talented, creative writer. It's so embarrassing. When I smelled the putrid odor of a brigade attack. By the way, if you've ever seen Talia Lavin, I'm sure she's um, familiar with putrid odors. She doesn't look like the most hygienic of people. She always looks kind of a bit like she's just like woke up, uh, you know, on a bench after like a fucking three-day binge of, uh, of something. Um, anyway... When I smelled the putrid odor of a brigade attack, I decided to do a little research into the origins of this sudden and plainly coordinated, because now we're saying it is coordinated, absolutely. My gut feeling is it's coordinated. Here's what, here's, here's what a brigade is, and then... Abracadabra, it now just is coordinated, you see. I, I thought it. I did a bit of misdirection in the middle. Now I'm going to tell you why my thoughts were right the entire time. Um... So, there was also death threats and a flood of anti-Semitic Instagram comments. It was a fairly simple operation. I clicked over to 4chan's poll board and searched for the phrase. In a thread entitled Happening, HuffPo, BuzzFeed, other MSM garbage journalists fired, which discussed the extent and impending layoffs, there were dozens of responses laying out the Learn to Code plan. Learn to Code is what should be spammed over and over. Fuck these elitist cunts, wrote one user. Reminder to tell all the fired fucks to learn to code, wrote another. I'm not ready to declare victory until these maggots are killing themselves with a live stream, wrote a third. An odd little narrative sprung up around this malevolence. Three comments. Postulating that journalists had con... Remember, if you can... Remember what I told you? If you can point to three things, you point to three examples, it's a trend. Wait, why do they always do these things in three, Richard? If you can point to three... You can call it a trend. An odd little narrative sprung up around this malevolence, postulating that journalists had condescendingly told coal miners who lost their jobs to learn to code. The scant evidence for this quickly debunked narrative was a collage of several articles covering programs to retrain jobless former coal miners in the rudiments of coding and bipartisan job training effort, uh, efforts. But it's not quickly debunked, is it? It... it, it it actually happened. It, act, uh, it it was real. How's it debunked? Okay, not not to worry. We'll get to that. Don't worry, I've got material. 
But as with ethics in games journalism, because remember, you're not allowed to say that these people should be held to an ethical standard. That is harassment and hate speech. Uh, but as with ethics in games journalism, the narrative was just a means to deflect attention from the ultimate goal of adding distress to a terrible week for journalists. I mean, listen, if that was the ultimate goal, so fucking what? Why should you be immune to that? Why should you be immune to that? Are you saying that when a sports team loses, nobody should be allowed to tweet at the sports team? Ha ha ha, you lost the Super Bowl, fuck you. You shouldn't be allowed to tweet that because it's, oh, it's adding distress. Mm, poor babies, poor babies with your overpaid jobs in your elite cities. Hmm. I feel so sorry for you being distressed. Multiple right-wing media figures consciously took the bait. I don't think they're the ones taking the bait, darling. Um, but whatever. After the Raps John Levine misleadingly tweeted that simply typing learn to code might get Twitter users suspended. By the way, he's had to delete that tweet now. Um, and it wasn't misleading because we I just showed you how an NBC journalist told you within 20 minutes an account got banned. So, which which is it, guys? Is it rise up journalists and let's get 4chan? And look, they'll be banned in 20 minutes, I promise you, from an NBC journalist. Or is it, no, no one's being banned, nothing to see here, guys. Which, which one? Pick your poison. We know which one it is, because everyone was getting banned for typing learn the code. Um, our nation's bravest firefighters must be protected from microaggressions like learn to code jokes on Twitter. Pathetic, wrote Daily Wire pundit Ben Shapiro. Donald Trump Jr. weighed in. Could someone explain to me why if I tell my kids to learn to code, it's likely sound parenting, but if I told a journalist the same, it's grounds for a Twitter suspension. Tucker Carlson, Fox News' most openly white supremacist host and a frequent amplifier of far-right meme warfare, ran a segment about the trolling campaign for his roughly 3 million viewers. Someone on Twitter came up with a pretty brilliant piece of advice for all of those laid-off journalists trying to figure out what to do with their lives. Learn to code. Perfect. Suddenly, learn to code was everywhere on Twitter, Carlson said. But journalists didn't see the humor in this at all. A former New Yorker employer called, employee called Talia Lavin called the phrase, quote, far-right hate. So they complained to the censorship authorities at Twitter. For me, the open hostility of Learn to Code was from the first moment compounded. So not, it was an issue by itself, but what made it worse <laughs> was misogyny and anti-Semitism. Uh, I'm sure the examples of which were very infrequent because I remember when this happened, I didn't see a lot of that. I did see a lot of people with anime avatars laughing at you and telling you to learn to code. And I saw a lot of those accounts get fucking banned. One Twitter user posing as a Jew named Moshi Goldberg sent me a photo of a pizza with a crude caricature of a Jew on it, and it said oven ready. Okay, that's not cool, but that's not got anything to do with the learn to code. Others utilized the Photoshop meme of Tucker Carlson and a skull bandana of the type favored by fascist groups. Day of the Rope, it read, a reference to the scene in the Turner Diaries, a novel that remains the your text of the American far right and was an inspiration for Timothy McVeigh, where political enemies are hanged en masse. And again, do you see the 
recurring theme here. Much like the games journalist we talked about before. Oh, the YouTube commenters are bad. One of these people will literally kill me. The vast majority of people telling you to learn to code have nothing to do, probably aren't even right wing, let alone have ties to terrorist groups or interest in that world. But here we are in a written article comparing them to Timothy McVeigh. They compare, they, 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 okay, they compare you to these things, not because they, uh, they're, they're trying to drum up sympathy. It's not that even, it's not even that malevolent. The tragedy is, because these people are so miserable and insecure, they believe it. They honestly believe what they say. They all have created a fantasy to insulate themselves from the reality of what they are and what they do. And that fantasy is that they are on the front lines of a great war, a jihad no less, a holy war between them, the good and the righteous, and you, the evil gamer, the evil anonymous person on the internet and they must be immune to criticism and if then and if if they are not protected then you know it much like bush said famously you're either with us or you're against us and that's how these people think it, 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 it I, I hear a lot of people tell me that this is a con like it's a very cynical um you know movement designed to create false narratives you have to understand, in their mind, the narrative isn't false. They've just been doing this too long. They're just jacked up on their own hubris. But secretly, this is what happens when a massive ego and massive insecurity collide to create a personality black hole. They are divorced from reality. They cannot exist in the real world. Anyway, let's not read the rest of the garbage. But let's just do a quick reminder. Reminder about who Talia Lavin is. Let's just do a little reminder, in case you don't know. Talia Lavin, famous for something. What's she famous for, Richard? Well, here you go. Oh, we hadn't had strobes today, but we're going to get some strobes. So I apologize for the strobes. They, there it is, the ad, see? You can always tell when, the, when it's done. This is, she used to write at the New Yorker, very prominent, very well-to-do establishment. New Yorker fact-checker, this is the hilarious part, she worked there as a fact-checker. And by fact-checker, that means whenever Donald Trump says something, she says actually the opposite is true. Um, and actually also, bizarrely, whenever Bernie Sanders says something, the opposite is true as well. Because we can't have non-establishment politicians ever succeed, you see. You're not allowed to do that. If, you ever, if you've ever wondered, right, if you were a Dem, by the way, who supports Bernie, and go ha 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 look at the media dunking on trump trump is bad isn't he <laughs> now they're dunking on your guy now what do you think oh yeah it don't matter they're dunking on bernie they're dunking on tulsi isn't they're dunking on yang isn't this weird it's almost as if there was one big fucking system in place designed to keep outliers out and established scumbags in isn't that strange guys isn't that really fucking strange just gonna turn off yang's mic oh whoops did he was muted for most of the debate whoopsie doodle we're just gonna fucking write up uh un unsubstantiated smears that tulsi gabbard a fucking veteran of america is a russian agent hillary clinton's gonna come out and say it we're gonna run the stories again and then we're gonna deny hillary clinton said it <laughs> that's literally 
it is a full court press on non-established figures. You're either in the club or you're out of the club, guys. That's all there is to it. Anyway, let's just calm down. Hang on. I think of the times in which we live, and I think of all the people that inspired me that aren't here anymore, and I'm glad they're not. It would drive them mad. Can you imagine a Bill Hicks trying to function in this world? Can you imagine a Christopher Hitchens trying to function in this world? Could you imagine what they would say about them? Could you imagine what their material would be like? Could you imagine? George Carlin couldn't function in this world. He saw it. That was why, if you go look at the last, like, three George Carlin specials, you know, as he's getting older and he knows he's coming to the end of his life, it's not even jokes anymore, guys. It's not even jokes. It is an old man who has seen too much standing there telling you, guys, America's fucked. The world is fucked. The system is fucked. We're all fucked. It's one big club and you ain't in it. And while I miss all these people immensely for their sanity and clarity, and I'm missing out dozens more, man, am I glad they've been spared this. Man, am I glad. <laughs> because it would have been impossible. Every day, mm, George Carlin is a white conservative, like one of the most liberal dudes of all time. Is Christopher Hitchens alt-right? Is he a gateway to alt-right philosophy? Is he a misogynist because one time he said he didn't think women were funny, naturally, because of anthropological reasons? Even though, of course, he got up in front of every organized religion in the world and said, you've got to start giving women autonomy of their bodies, you know. But no, he's not a feminist, actually. Bill Hicks, uh, conspiracy theorist? Like, it would, it, would have been, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been a nightmare. These people would have been hounded out. You wouldn't, we wouldn't even know who they were. If they had established careers before it, they would have been smeared and destroyed for pointing out the absurdity at the core of this nonsense, this nonsense system, this paradigm we have to operate within. They, they would have been utterly destroyed. Thankfully, they cannot be utterly destroyed because they are dead. And that is a much better state of affairs, whether they know it or you think it or not. Anyway, Talia Lavin, New Yorker fact checker under fire after mistaking ice workers tattoo for Nazi symbol. This was the moment when a ice employee, remember you have to also say that everyone who works in ice is the equivalent of the SS. If you do not say this and do not think this, you are complicit with Nazism. Apparently that is the prescribed wisdom of the times. This guy, by the way, was a former Marine who had lost both of his legs, despite being disabled, wanted to continue to serve in, in some capacity to serve his country, moved to ICE and worked in a division that was responsible for stopping dozens of child sex trafficking operations. All round, a pretty good guy. Anyway, he had a cross on his elbow. You can see it there. The idea 
that somebody could be employed <laughs> by ICE or any uh, American institution while having a visible Nazi tattoo immediately should tell you what world these people live in compared to the rest of us. If you've got a fucking swastika on your forehead, you don't get to work for the police, do you? It's it's that simple. We exist in reality. These people exist in the fantasy they've created where there's Nazis everywhere and they are the brave protectors, the last line of defense. So anyway, it is a Titan II symbol. A special type of cross that was unique to his platoon, which served in Afghanistan. She said it was a Nazi iron cross. By the way, historically, that is an oxymoron. The iron cross is not a Nazi symbol. Anybody with a cursory understanding of European history knows this. Yes, it was continued to be given as an award for valor, the cross of iron, the iron cross, during the Nazi regime, but it predates it by a long, long time. It is, it is the German Medal of Valor, essentially. And the cross comes from the Kaiser. So even if it was an iron cross, it is in no way a Nazi symbol. absolute gibberish but anyway this new yorker fact checker operating under that basis publicly smeared this disabled veteran and said he had a nazi tattoo on his body needless to say it wasn't true ice responded the writing on his right arm is the spartan creed which is about protecting family and children which is what he worked in while he, when he went to ICE, anyone attempting to advance their personal political opinions by baselessly slandering an American hero should be issuing public apologies to M Mr. Gertner, that's the guy, and retractions. This includes Levin and the New Yorker. The New Yorker said, <laughs> We have just learned that a staff member erroneously made a derogatory assumption about ICE agent Justin Gertner's tattoo. Now listen. A derogatory assumption is he has a four-inch penis when erect. <laughs> Calling him uh, an actual neo-Nazi with neo-Nazi tattoos on his body, that is out-and-out out slander. It is unbelievable. It must have taken incredible restraint on behalf of ICE, on behalf of Mr. Gertner, to not just lawyer up immediately and sue and win a slam dunk payout. The personal social media accounts of staff members do not represent the magazine because we love that degree of separation. We love that degree of separation. No one else gets to do that, do they? Have you noticed that as well? The publications that employ the journalists, they come out and what do they say? They go, oh, it's just an individual on their Twitter account, so we can't be held accountable. Don't sue us. We're already hurting for money over here. Meanwhile, if you work in fucking McDonald's and tweet out like, <laughs> fucking, <laughs> just did a shit. Somebody comes along and fires you from a meaningless wage slave job. McDonald's will not allow our company to be smeared in this way as if some fucking wage slave speaks for Mackie D's. 
It's the paradigm within which we live. Journalists must be protected at every turn because they're oh so brave now. Don't they do such important work like smearing disabled veterans? You're so brave. Anyway, the good news is that she had to resign from that job. I'm sure there was a conversation where, where they uh, talked about riding it out and what we, can we do. But no, as you can see here, there should be one more flash. Move down, two more. Come on, you're better than this. Whatever. Right, oh, I can always tell. When, when Prince William appears, it's, it's, it's done. New Yorker staffer resigns after falsely accusing ICE agent Ataru. She basically left. What does right, Talia Lavin have to say about this? I'd be mortified. I, in my capacity as an esports journalist, do occasionally write about things that can, are important and can ruin people's jobs and lives and everything else. I'd be mortified if I ever falsely accused anyone of being a Nazi. Quote, Talia Lavin is out of a job following her June 18th tweet that caused mass outrage. I feel like I made a small mistake and it's destroyed my life. It's all about you, Talia. Not about him. Not about the disabled veteran whose life you could have just as equally destroyed. But let's just ponder. Let's just ponder on this concept of small mistake. Small mistake. Small mistake. You see, you have one job when you're employed as a fact checker. It is to check facts. And what you didn't do here, you see was check the fact that that is not a neo-nazi tattoo and it must have been easy for you to do let me give you some advice here here's what i would have done i would have took that picture i would have identified the individual in it using my extensive connections which all journalists have um i could have reached out to ice directly you must have some sources over there you could have even back channeled and gone directly to ice themselves and said hi i've been presented with a picture i have some concerns does this individual have a neo-nazi tattoo on them um and then at which point you probably would have been told you know oh it's this individual it's actually this symbol from this military outfit and you would never have had to tweet out your erroneous bullshit and you would have kept your job and he would have been a much happier individual for it but what you did instead was you publicly tweeted that he was a nazi first before you were done these words again checked any facts so i think we can see immediately you were completely deficient as a fact checker and it's pretty reasonable that you lose your job over it. Because in the grand scheme of things, when you fail to check a fact that, that is that easy to check, it's not a sm small mistake. It is a catastrophic failure, actually. But self-awareness, not a journalist's strong point. Not, not really what journalists do particularly well. Now, what do you think? What are you? I'm going to look into the fucking camera here. I'm going to make sure I'm doing it properly. Everyone loves it when I do a stare at the camera. I'm looking at you. Right. What do you think should be the penalty for somebody that loses their job in disgrace? I mean, like, do you think 
they, they, you're a journalist, you lose your job in disgrace for smearing somebody falsely because you didn't do your job properly. What should happen to you? Do you think you should spend like some time on the sidelines? Do you think you should go and get retrained? Do you think you should never be employed again? You know, I'm, I, I think that last example would be incredibly harsh, right? But but what should happen, you know? What, 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 yeah, see, people are saying retrained, retrained, learn the code, that's a good one. Right. But there should be some consequences, right? Now, she said, it's destroyed my life. She said in June of this year. Well, here's how. This is all you need to know, right? I've told you. It's a clique. They look after themselves. They're a corrupt cabal, and they will all bend all, like, logic and rules and common sense and propriety to protect one another and keep each other in money. And, and, and this is why there's no oversight anymore. Used to be, back in the day... You did something like this, you just wouldn't work again. No one would, no one would want to hire you and be associated with this level of embarrassment. Talia Lavin? Well, come on. You can do it. There it is. She got hired by New York University to teach a journalism course. Just like that. Just like that. What's that? You you are you were a fact checker. Left your last job in disgrace for failing to check a very basic fact. Smeared a disabled veteran as being a neo-Nazi when actual fact. He's not just a hero because of what he did in the war, but he's also a hero because he saved the lives of many children being trafficked into the sex trade. Here you go, don't worry. Don't worry, come and lecture young, impressionable journalists about how to be a fuck-up like you. Because what could possibly go wrong with raising another generation of incompetent, bumbling liars? I am telling you guys, it is rotten to the core it is irredeemable it, it, it this will not be fixed by a few twitter outrages it is a cabal it is corrupt they're all in on it and they all protect each other and they operate in the highest echelons of politics academia journalism and tech all the things we need to function in our society. Not a conspiracy, provable fact. So she got offered a job. She got to teach an undergraduate course, reporting on the far right. What could be more irresponsible than letting somebody who labeled a disabled veteran and hero and ICE employee as being far right Continue to lecture on what is far right and what isn't far right. It's all right. So not only is she, she's not teaching like a practical thing. This is a lead. This is a sentence. She's actually teaching about the thing 
that she got caught lying about and had to resign about in disgrace. It's like if a doctor was sexually abusing the patients, lost their job, and then they went, and then a fucking medical school said, don't worry, come over and here, teach the students, yeah? Nothing could go wrong there. Come, come over. Insane. But don't worry. There is some hope. If it feels hopeless. Because it got cancelled. <laughs> it got cancelled. Not because of outrage. And not because it's just wrong to give her a job. It got cancelled because no one wanted to sign up. A total of two students <laughs> wanted to learn from Talia Lavin. So, it's not all doom and gloom. Just saying. She did some hilarious tweets after this, by the way, guys. She, uh... She did... <laughs> I haven't got them to hand, but she basically said, haha, people are laughing at me and laughing at my misfortune, but it doesn't matter. It's pretty good. She tried to make it, she tried to style it out, basically. Anyway, it wasn't just Talia Lavin that was writing about how Learn to Code was this awful, abusive trauma that journalists had to go through here's the ringer learn to code the meme attacking media laid off journalists and their supporters have seen their twitter mentions not their mentions littered with a phrase that some are suggesting is part of a targeted anti-media harassment campaign what does it all mean means we're sick of your shit means we're sick of overpaid liars force feeding their fucked up agenda to us and also looking down on blue collar people that whenever they go through hard times you let them eat cake <laughs> while you quaff another fucking margarita because you think you've got taste but you ain't yeah people are sick of that shit and again remember the immortal line <laughs> if, I, if you take only one thing away from this stream just remember, if you can point to three examples, you can call it a trend. More than a thousand jobs were eliminated at publishers, including BuzzFeed and Verizon-owned Yahoo, AOL. Beginning Friday, Twitter was flooded with messages from freshly laid-off journalists. Oh, it was a great day, by the way. It was really good. As well as condolences from their former colleagues. Oh, the, the pity party was hilarious. Media Twitter was simultaneously... Oh, media Twitter. Was simultaneously mourning the vicious cutbacks and condemning... Curse you, VC! Curse you for keeping our jobs afloat in the first place! God damn you, you venture capitalists! artificially propping up our dying trade curse you yeah these vc people are so fucking bad aren't they so bad aren't they these vc people are just evil the ones that told you to stick to sports evil evil they're just evil they're the only reason you're employed but they're evil many people retweeted requests for work lauded the talents of the unfairly fired they're all unfairly fired all of them no journalist gets fairly fired anymore guys it's all unfair it's all harsh or criticized buzzfeed for its poor handling of the situation but there was one 
frequently tweeted phrase that stood out from the sympathy. Learn to code. Think of all the code you could be learning instead of wasting time like that. Cassandra Fairbanks, love Cassandra. They should learn to code. John Ekdahl. Oh, that, that's the verified gun. Learn to code. Crying. That's a reference to the bump stock thing that they all got wrong. So wait. They chose three examples. They chose three examples. If you can point to three examples, you can call it a trend. I'm telling you guys, I think what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start lifting the veil on all of this because I, 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 there's so much I could tell you about the, the, the trade and what you get taught now these days. Um, three things are a trend. Um, there, there's, there's loads of words and phrases they use. Like, I'm telling you, it, it's, it, it's, if you've ever wondered why everything's so sort of terribly generic, it's because of this. They teach you how to create these cookie cutter articles that are just, just the same. I'll, I'll tell you everything about it. There's, like I say, there's phrases you use, there's words you use, there's, you know, it's ridiculous. It, it's so... This is all shit you learn on the job. I mean, you might learn it in college these days, but generally you get to a publication and you've got some smarmy asshole fucking editor that like thinks they finally fucking made it. Um, but they actually are just, they're called an editor, but they're paid the same as a features writer and they just do double the work. But it, it's the set, the smug sense of self-importance. And they're not really qualified to teach you how to edit anything or how to be better as a journalist, but they will teach you this bullshit. And, and the key thing here, three things are always a trend. Anyway, what sounds like innocuous career advice is, in many cases, part of targeted harassment. The phrase learn the code was added to know your meme four days ago. Not know your meme, not that notorious hate site, know your meme, which only exists because you fucking dumb boomer journalists don't understand memes where it's described as an expression used to mock journalists who are laid off from their jobs, encouraging them to learn software devo development as an alternative career path. Pa <coughs> okay, choking. Choking on my own bile and rage. Part of the Know Your Meme entry explains that those posting the phrase believe those news organizations have been shitting on blue-collar workers for years. Additionally, writer Talia Lavin posted screenshots from 4chan that suggest the learn-to-code tweets were a targeted attack by the notorious online message board, Learn to Code. Uh, learn to Code... Oh, sorry, the notorious online message board. Learn to Code is more than internet schadenfreude. It's m also the most recent rallying cry of an anti-media faction. Again, why can't we be anti-media? I don't understand. Why can't we, if, if the media ceases to serve its primary function, which is to inform the populace about things it needs to know, why can we not be anti-media? Why? Just explain it to me. I'm in the media. I'm a journalist. I get shit. If I ever started publishing nonsense that was false, unprovably false, and did it over and over and over and over again, and then people told me that I was shit at my job <laughs> and that they didn't want to read my stuff anymore, I wouldn't go, well, you're just being anti-media. No, you're being fucking <laughs> sensible. You're being anti-stupidity at that point, and that must be something that needs to be lauded.
There was word Twitter was taking down Learn to Code tweets because they fall under the umbrella of abusive content. But a Twitter spokesperson clarified his position in an email. It's more nuanced than what was initially reported. Twitter is responding to a targeted harassment campaign against specific individuals. The individuals we know, the individuals we like, the individuals that bitch and whine to us in our personal emails. It's a policy that's long been against the Twitter rules. Twitter also just directed me to its policy on targeted harassment, which prohibits behavior that encourages others to harass or target specific individuals or groups with abusive behavior. How strange. Because I remember when the Covington thing happened and that kid that wasn't a racist, didn't do anything racist, didn't say anything racist, but just smiled. I remember all the journalists falling over themselves to say he had a punchable face and let's dox him and let's find out who he is. And wouldn't it be great if he was put in a wood chipper and I want names. Hilariously, all of those accounts that did that haven't been banned for targeted harassment, but you try typing learn to code to a journalist, my friends, and your feet will not touch the fucking floor. But there's nothing to see here. There isn't a problem. There's no hypocrisy. There's no lies. By the way, another one of my scripted videos on Covington. Straight fucking fire. That's coming soon, too. Part of my series, The Media Lies. <laughs> You're gonna love that one. The media aren't, the journalists aren't, the blue checks aren't. But I have I have listed in one year, I think it's uh, 40 false political stories in a one-year period that all had to be, like, retracted or were proven false. 40, 4-0. Four anyway... So there was another article there, right? Then we had NBC News because obviously one of their writers got super fucking upset about it. So NBC News had to wade in and cover the story. 4chan trolls flood laid off HuffPost BuzzFeed reporters with death threats. Death threats, ladies and gentlemen. Death threats, you see. It was death threats the whole time. It wasn't just people saying learn to code and a couple of death threats because there's always a dickhead who has to take the joke too far. No, 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 wrong. It was 40 the whole time, guys. It was 40 the whole time. It was fucking 40 fucking instances of death threats and fuck them and fuck this shit and it's bullshit. It's all four chants, all lies. Shortly after he tweeted the news of his own layoff, Nick Wing checked his inbox at HuffPost and saw an email with a few pictures from a troll. Remember, these people openly put their emails out on the internet, openly tweeted out their emails when they lost their jobs, and said, hey, email me here if you can offer me a job. You're probably going to get some pranks. Probably. Just saying. Yeah, no. One was an image of President Trump. And look, right? Listen. One was an image of President Trump. That's all. That was all it was. Oh, God, no. Not our president. Another was a Photoshop meme of Fox News, Tucker Carlson. 
The edited image shows two bodies hanging from a tree next to the words Day of the Row. Weird this, isn't it? Because this is by Ben Collins. Talia Lavin said she got sent this too. Hmm. Hmm. Day of the Rope, eh? Next to Tucker Carlson, the exact same meme, isn't it? Uh, that's odd. Really odd. Really odd. Almost again as if it was coordinated lies. Don't worry about it, guys. These are, these are your journalists and truth-tellers. Conspiring together to present false stories to you at every turn, paint themselves as heroes, and elicit sympathy from the terminally stupid. Let me free you from the shackles, if I can. Journalists are self-serving liars. It's got to that stage. Not all of them, not all of the time, but in general. The mainstream media are self-serving liars. I wish it wasn't true. I wish I could tell people what I do for a living and not be afraid. Because people are angry. And people are rightfully angry. This goes beyond fake news. It's not just one story here, one story there. This is a concerted mix of incompetence, ineptitude, maliciousness, delusion. And it's just filtered into this diet of garbage. And people are addicted to this shit. They need it in their lives. They can't fucking disconnect from this. It's the conflict. It's what keeps them going. And they are fed this steady diet of fiction. And we live in a time where journalists are only too happy to serve up that fiction. But journalists should never serve you a fiction. Ever. Only if they make an absolute, mortifyingly embarrassing mistake. Not by design. But it's happening all the time, by design. Wing was one of many journalists who were let go by BuzzFeed and HuffPost this week and was sent death threats from trolls organizing their efforts on far-right message board 4chan. Again, to characterize all of 4chan as far-right is absurd. Many parts of 4chan are completely non-political, not to mention there's plenty of fucking boards that the average right-wing or conservative would, oh, think of the children and want, and want them banned. Many of those targeted by the harassment campaign did not cover the far right, including Wing, whose beat focused on inequality and guns. Hmm, interesting beat. <laughs> Sounds like what you mean is his beat was politics, and therefore the far right is relevant. Uh, but okay, no problem. It really is upsetting to see such outright animus towards the entire journalism profession to the point where trolls are openly reveling in people's misfortune or even working to make it worse. But ultimately, I think it says more about their character than anything, Wing told NBC News in a stupefying moment of lack of self-awareness. I cannot believe 
that there is such outright animus to 50% of America's population in the American political journalism sphere to the point where CNN will track down a guy who made a meme of Donald Trump wrestling them. <laughs> you tracked him down, made him apologize, and blackmailed him. I think it's terrible. There is such animus towards right-wing conservative voters in America that you track down an old lady because she was a member of a Facebook group that apparently had Russian money pumped into it. I think it's disgusting that there is so much animus towards people in America that just want to vote the way they want to vote as should be allowed in any politically free country that you track down a blue-collar forklift truck driver for creating a very clearly fake video of Nancy Pelosi and doxed him to the world. By the way, that article written by a journalist that had served time for crimes committed on a PC. So, when we talk about animus, when we, when we, when we talk about animus, there is no greater animus, there is no greater loathing than what the journalist class hold the American people in. Anyway, what sort of sad, pathetic human being, you're really saving it here, Wing, you're really doing a good job in, in empathizing and understanding and what sort of sad and pathetic human being do you have to be to do that? Just somebody that is sick of your shit. <laughs> it's not sad. It's not pathetic. People are just sick of your shit. Okay. Then, media matters. They weighed in. Now, for those who don't know, Media Matters is essentially the bright part of, like, the fucking uh, left-wing progressive movement. It's utter nonsense. Every story is cherry-picked and skewed to be as far left as possible. Anything that anybody does that, to the contrary of that, is skewed to be as evil and far-right as possible. It just is what it is. But they waited. Media Matters. Oh, it's actually good. It's in night mode. It's fine. Media Matters for America. How a myth about journalism telling minors to learn to code helped people justify harassment. And it, it, it literally says, right, that it's all a myth. It's all a myth. They, nobody ever said that minors should learn to code. Nobody. We all imagine it. There's the deleted tweet from John Levine. I'm told by a person in the know that tweeting learned to code at any recently laid off journalist will be treated as abusive behavior and as a violation of Twitter's terms of service. They got protected. I do like this from Cam Edwards pointing it out. Reza Aslan, CNN contributor and a man who had human brains and is probably in the deep, deep grips of the Kuru right now said on his question, we've seen a more punchable face than this kid's. He's still allowed to go be on Twitter, by the way. He incited harassment and violence towards a child, uh, but it's okay because he's got the right politics. But you can see these are all portrayed as right wing people. We all made it up. We all made it up. And look, the learn to code portion of this campaign is something of a red herring. And they give all these lists here 
of the articles we just saw earlier and they explain them away and they go oh but what it really meant was this and what it really were trying to say was this and people have misunderstood this complex and deep nuanced issue it's very very fucking simple <laughs> it's very simple that's media matters now interestingly enough just to dismiss the nonsense about learn to code uh, originating on 4chan. It didn't. Actually, it was a, a saying that had been utilized multiple times prior to that. Imagine a world where I have to link to the fucking Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's own publication to get something even close to fucking credible on this particular topic. Shapiro is a fucking bellend. I don't mind Ben. He's a bit of an idiot sometimes. It's like, it's tough because he's port he's set up as being this great intellectual mastermind. He says ridiculous things. I'll never forget the moment where he said, listen, uh, global warming, even if the seas do rise and your house is flooded, don't worry, you can just sell your house and move. <laughs> and it's like, Ben, who's buying a house when it's underwater? <laughs> you fucking... You know, he said so many ridiculous things. It's like, dude, like, I, I don't know what to say here. Exactly. H-bomber guy, who's not, not a dude I particularly like, but he, he did fucking said he's going to buy it, Ben Aquaman. It's a very good line. Very, very good line. Okay, I got it. Please. There it is. We've gone through the web archive. Here's where the Learn to Code meme originated. Hint, it's not 4chan. So we'll scroll down. It goes over some of the stuff we've already covered, some of the tweets. Um, it explains the history of the uh, where the Learn to Code phrase comes from. Um... With, with all the fuss surrounding the meme, the question became, where did Learn to Code come from? The answer, from journalists themselves during the Obama administration. As conservatives decried President Barack Obama's war on coal and coal plant shutdowns, media outlets rushed to report that laid-off coal workers could learn to code in order to get a new job. NPR, Wired, The New York Times, and many other outlets ran these stories. I showed you that. You saw that. Even Media Matters had to acknowledge that. They were just trying to explain it away as not being malevolent. Oh, and actually, we were, we were, we were against Obama, really. Uh, all this bullshit which seemed to some as elite media outlets mocking blue-collar workers for losing their jobs. Now people on Twitter turn this around on journalists who have lost their jobs because is it so easy for a coal worker to start a new career as a coder? Surely the elite, educated, smarter than the rest of us journalists and opinion writers can learn it as well. Of course, since journalists can't be expected to do even a modicum of research, they blame the harassment on 4chan, searching for posts, celebrating reporters losing their jobs, and bragging about telling them to learn to code. The phrase is not something new, and Google Trends bears this out. The website, Know Your Meme, I do love when Know Your Meme becomes the central fucking point of reference for political stories. That's the time in which we exist, guys. It's not Snopes anymore, you can't even believe that, but Know Your Meme, we've got Know Your Meme. 
Right, no, you mean search for the phrase learn to code and found the term began to spark interest in 2011. Interest remained high since 2015 when the news articles about coal miners began to crop up. This is not some grand conspiracy. While it is used in a mocking way, it is done so to mirror how journalists treated coal miners when they were laid off. As Tim Poole pointed out, at least one person has been suspended for tweeting learn to code at a journalist. Um, so this is it's it's a meme that was already in existence it wasn't part of a fucking people obviously are gonna use the same lexicon of language you use to denigrate others to you when you're having a moment of schadenfreude that's just all there is to it it's what people do it even went it even went pretty far actually um what was the one with uh fucking nunez was it this one i think so they they even accused politicians of amplifying uh, a hate movement. Uh, it was pretty wild. Uh, let me just, let me just check it. Oh, there was this Ben Collins again. NBC News. They got NBC News got really upset by this. Just look at this. They published this. Um, Zoe Beery at Study Hall asked me why Learn to Code is such an effective meme for both the far right and regular conservative media. It's a perfect memetic storm, an ingenious cover story. We're covering it up. Uh, um, um, highlighting journalistic softness with Learn to Code than expected cruelty underneath. This is the thing. It's cruelty that's working. They kind of beta tested this with a thing called the NPC meme that didn't catch on. Because it made sense to gamers. It only made sense to gamers. Right, so, let's just be clear. In the past, however, whatever the fuck it is, right? Pepe the Frog was turned into hate speech because Donald Trump Jr. tweeted it out once. Uganda Knuckles, apparently, that was hate speech. Uh, <laughs> for reasons. The OK symbol was hate speech because... Donald Trump was doing it, so people mimicked Donald Trump doing it and started doing this. That was hate speech. The NPC meme was hate speech, but r calling people Russian bots falsely, that's not hate speech, even though both are dehumanizing, turning into tech aberrations. You cannot mock these people. You're not allowed to mock these people, even in mimetic form. They will complain, they will... They will use their channels to pretend it's hate speech. They will not be ridiculed. They will not. They will not allow you to ridicule them. They realize picking on journalists who recently lost their jobs by saying they're telling them to learn to code while knowing full well some of them are sending overt threats alongside of it has been an effective trolling strategy to make them feel twice the pain. Send scary threats in smaller numbers, send a pointless learn to code campaign on top of it as a cover story. Point to the cover story to make journalists look soft and play into a larger narrative about conservative suppression on social media. It's a perfect storm for animus, that word again, that was used on NBC, they're all the same, and cruelty. And he followed it up with, she also asked me why nobody else is writing about it. 
everyone, all you journalist fucks were writing about it. Every time there's an opportunity to throw a fucking self-pity party, you guys invite everyone over. You got balloons, party poppers, fucking cheap fucking wine. You're all there getting wrecked. You know, just, ooh, we've got it so tough. Nobody has it as hard as the journalist. Everyone was writing about it. She also asked me why nobody else is writing about it or writing explainers in mainstream circles. Said the journalist from NBC who wrote about it in a very mainstream circle. Despite its 2016-esque pervasiveness this weekend. My guess is fear. You invite the cover story, learn to code, plus the underlying point of it, death threats, if you do. Anyways, game, recognize game. All right, Ben Collins. How embarrassing. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? Game, recognize game, am I right? Um, game, recognize game. This is super effective. This is a super effective meme to scare off journalism because you're guaranteed death threats if you detail it. You were also scared you wouldn't shut the fuck up about it and wrote, like, you know, there's probably a dozen articles about this. It's so terrifying, we all rallied around and wrote about it. Okay, cool. Hardly it's the fucking ring video, is it? It's on journalists to step up and explain the guts of it to average users, even if it's going to be a long weekend when you do. Yeah, your Twitter mentions, man. How will you cope? If your Twitter mentions are bad, you couldn't just, like, step away, put the phone down, relax. <laughs> Is this satirical? <laughs> Oh god. Is this satirical? I can't tell you but I, I know I know how you feel Machiatarian. I know how you feel, brother. Right. Let me see if I can just find this uh, other thing that I just want to show you, just to show you how ridiculous it got. Uh and then we're gonna start moving on to what I really wanted to talk about. This was a precursor to the precursor. Right? Devin Nunes talked about how ridiculous the meme was when he was on news, uh, on, on, doing it on, on Fox News, and they said he was weaponizing. <laughs> he was weaponizing the meme. Republican Devin Nunes appeared, knowingly or not, to use a 4chan meme to mock journalists Thursday night on Fox's news. Ingram Angle. Nunez appeared on uh, appeared on appeared on the program. Good at the editor at the Daily Dots really making their their money. D by the way, these guys can never be fired. Can't even do basic fucking uh, sub editing. Nunez appeared on, appeared on, appeared on, appeared on, appeared on the program hosted by Laura Ingram to discuss Republican Adam Schiff's continued actions regarding the Russia probe. This is clearly an investigation again without a crime. We've looked for two years, didn't find anything at all, said Nunez, referring to the House Intelligence Committee's investigation, which until recently held a Republican majority. Nunez was describing his take on media coverage of the ongoing meetings when he said the key phrase, 
Do I even want to look at this? Now I'll just read it. What was amazing was that we haven't seen the press people around that much because there's been a whole cottage industry of press people that are in the capital now, Nuno started. So for the first time, we show up to our business meeting just to organize, and there must have been 15 cameras down there and 30 press people. I'm thinking, what in the world are these people doing here? Well, we found out because Schiff announced at the business meeting he was reopening the Russia investigation. I don't know what these people are going to do, this cottage industry of press people. They're going to have to learn to code or something. Hate speech! Another Republican uttering hate speech on television. I always knew, I always knew that the Republicans were just inherently evil from birth before they even knew what Republicanism was. It references the Tali 11 article, which we know is terrible. Talks about Tucker Carlson, because you have to mention him. Uh, it's unclear if Nunes intentionally parroted 4chan's harassment campaign. Oh, God, these people. But 4chan and alt-right internet culture have infused themselves into American politics in deeply disturbing ways over the past few years from helping shift presidential debate polls in Donald Trump's favor or turning the Pepe the Frog meme into a hate symbol. They didn't do that. You did that. 4chan didn't turn it into a hate symbol. They said, hey, what if we make a few edgy Pepes? The journalists are so stupid and liberals are so stupid. I bet they say this is a hate symbol now and behave stupidly. And you all went, the right wingers have frogs now, Ree! And then Donald Trump Jr. tweeted one out, and you went double Ree! To the point where Hillary Clinton's campaign wrote an article on their website saying the frog was a hate symbol, and then strong armed the Anti Defamation League to turn it into a hate symbol. And even then, on the Anti Defamation League entry for it being a hate symbol, they say it's actually not really a hate symbol. Context matters. <laughs> so, great job. You wrecked the guy who drew a cartoon frog's life for a few political points to win a slam dunk election that you lost because your entire campaign was vote for me or your scum. That was literally, figuratively, but literally, may as well have been, but figuratively, Clinton's campaign slogan. You're in a basket of deplorables if you don't vote for me. Serial career criminal Hillary Clinton. <laughs> don't bring up Haiti and all that money. Don't worry about it. You deplorable you. Y it's like, you wonder why you lost a fucking, like, dude. I'm not even a political fucking mastermind, but the idea, vote for me or you're human garbage. The way that's ever going to play out in what is ostensibly an overblown popularity contest, I don't know how dumb you have to be to, to for that to be your starting position, and then over the course of a campaign, double down, triple down, hmm... The internet is saying this is bad. I'll just assume that's not a representation of the cultural zeitgeist. Quadruple down. Hmm, we've lost the election. It must have been the Russians. <laughs> that's real. 
That's exactly how it went. And then for two years, it was the Russians. It was the Russians. It was the Russians. Any evidence it was the Russians? Now, actually, it turns out it wasn't the Russians. But hey, look, we've just found out that actually all along, Donald Trump was working with the Russian archenemy, Ukraine. Wait, but the, what does that do for the Russian narrative? Shut up! Impeach him! But what about the Russians? <laughs> Stop talking! And again, stochastic discount. Am I a Trump supporter? God, no. I'm a truth supporter, you understand. You could absolutely have hammered Donald Trump in the before he got elected. Um, I would have supported Bernie, by the way. If he'd rightfully won the nomination instead of rolling over like a shit-eating cuckold and orgy and let Hillary Clinton provably, legally rob him of the primary and then come out to all of his supporters who were booing her and go, now, 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 I know I look like the Crypt Keeper, but listen, we all must stand with Hillary. Yeah, brilliant. That's the kind of president I want. Made him a laughing stock for fucking life. But I would have supported him if he'd gone against Trump. Of course I would have. What's the choice here? Fucking lifelong po politician, barely a millionaire, which is super rare in Washington. Clearly a guy with socialist values, heart in the right place, no pun intended. Ag against serial billionaire that failed upwards due to familial privilege. Like, it's not even a choice. It's not even a choice. Just forget parties. Talk about the man. That's what I do. Talk about the candidate, talk about the human, talk about who they are. You you just line up their bios. Like, obviously, you go for the first one. It's got nothing to do. If, you, if the first one happened to be a Republican and the latter happened to be a Democrat, so be it. It's got nothing to do with that bullshit. Party politics is how you get fucked. Because you start thinking about dogma. But anyway, you know, there you go. Learn the code. Why did you just go on a long diatribe contextualizing... Learn, learn to code. Well, because they're doing it again, see? <laughs> they're doing it again. Uh, they've decided they're going to change how Twitter works, not to make your experience better, but to protect journalists. Absolutely true. Um, absolutely true, right? Let me show you what happened. There was a little moment, a little story. You might have missed it. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. It's a very fucking strange story. But we exist in a time sort of where it's very easy for cancel culture to get turned around on motherfuckers, you know what I mean? Like the canceller can very quickly become the cancelee. Sorry, I got a bucket of ice over here. That's what you can hear me jinking around. Because it's fucking... Man, even though it's November in fucking Vegas, it's fucking warm. You turn these fucking lights on, my bald dome gets... Uh, it's just as well I'm bleached out and fucking looking super pale. Because honestly, I bet I'm a red-ass motherfucker right now. Anyway. There was a story, and it's detailed here uh, by the uh, um, insider. There was a chap called... Uh, right, hang on, I'll, I'll give it you all. There was a young college football fan called Carson King. He was 24. 
He was watching a game of football. He held up a sign. He said, send beer money because the beer was bad. I think he said he didn't want Bush uh, Bud Light. So he held it up. And then it went viral. And everyone, ha, 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 yeah, Bud Light is terrible. Official sponsor of the Overwatch League. <laughs> Actually doing work in esports. That's me fucked. Whatever. Let me just tell you, it's Bud Light is better than M Michelob or Michelob Ultra, but nothing. If you want a low-carb, low-calorie beer, Corona Premier. Ooh, guys, I'm telling you, it's barely distinguishable from actual Corona. Not a sponsored stream. If they want to fucking sponsor me, dude, I actually do drink that shit all the time. But yeah, in America, all the mainstream beers that you can buy in like a fucking Walmart or whatever are fucking ass. And that's just a fact. And it's dis but when you go to like actual craft breweries out here, beer is fucking pucker. It's fucking good. But you know, course, it's Miller time. Fucking hell, it's like drinking fucking warmed urine that's gone through a fucking soda stream. <laughs> like, yeah, we're partying now. Can I get a fucking scotch? You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, Carson King, twenty-four. Held up a sign. Send beer money. They only got Bud Light here. And on the sign was his Venmo account. So people started sending him money because it was blowing up on Twitter and it was going viral. But then, Anheuser Bush, which makes Bush Light, apparently, offered him a sponsorship. And they said, we'll give you free beer for a year. And it would match all of the donations he got on his Venmo, which had reached over a million. But despite the fact he'd never committed to it or whatever, he said, anything I get money-wise, I will donate to charity. To charity to the Stead Family Children's Hospital. So, a journalist... <laughs> uh, it's mental. Why would you even do this? A journalist went through his old tweets and found tweets he made in 2012 when he was 16 years old which made a joke about the Holocaust and made a racist comparison between black people and gorillas in the form of an edgy joke. Now, few things. Holocaust, not really a funny period in human history. Larry David makes jokes about it. He's Jewish. Should non-Jewish people make jokes about it? I'm not going to prescribe parameters on comedy. The idea you can never joke about something is an anathema to me. But comparing black people to apes is inarguably racist, not acceptable behavior. 
and has no place in a modern, intellectual, intelligent, free society. Sixteen-year-old boys do stupid things, say things they don't believe, and I have to hope in my heart of hearts that the 24-year-old man that went viral is not the same as the 16-year-old boy that tweeted such nonsense. Because you grow out of such behavior. There was nothing else, by the way, beside those two things when he was 16 in his Twitter feed to suggest he was a racist. But this journalist went and published the stories all of the same. And then the Des Moines Register did an interview with him about the tweets and said, listen, you've got these racist tweets you made when you were 16. Why did you do it? And he said, I'm so sorry. Looking back at them, they make me feel sick. They were about to publish their article. Carson King came out and publicly issued an apology. I'll read you the apology. It's a little bit small there. It's an apology for ants. But he said, hello. It was just 10, 10 days ago. I was a guy in a crowd ho holding a sign looking for beer money on the ESPN game day. Since then, so much has happened. Especially when I announced all of the money would be donated to the Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City. Thousands of people donated. And today, the Venmo account had $1.14 million. Much of this has happened thanks to social media. It is the power to bring people together for a common good, but it can also make your life very public. And that is why I wanted to share with you that eight years ago, when I was a sophomore in high school, I made some social media posts with my friends that quoted and referenced the show Tosh Zero. One of, the, one of those posts was brought to my attention by a journalist today. I had no recollection of it. In rereading it today, Eight years later, sorry, I know it's Tosh O, I know it's Tosh Point O, instead of Tosh Zero, I know. It's just what it says there, it's okay. I don't like Tosh, I don't think he's funny. He's a gateway to the alt-right. I had no recollection of it. In rereading it today, eight years later, I see it was an attempt at humour that was offensive and hurtful. I'm embarrassed and stunned to reflect on what I thought was funny when I was 16 years old. All of Tosh Point Zero's audience right there in a nutshell. I want to sincerely apologize. Thankfully, high school kids grow up and hopefully become responsible and caring adults. I think my feelings are better summed up by a post from just three years ago. Until we as people learn that racism and hate are learned behaviors, we won't get rid of it. Tolerance towards others must be the first step. That's from July 8th, 2016. I'm sharing this information tonight because I feel a responsibility to all of the people who have donated money. I cannot go back and change what I posted when I was 16 years old. I can apologize and work to improve every day and make a meaningful difference in people's lives. And I am so very thankful for the generosity of the thousands of people who have donated to our fundraising push for the Stead Family Children's Hospital. Okay. He then 
also, supposedly apropos of nothing, published a tweet saying the Des Moines Register has been nothing but kind in all of their coverage, and I appreciate the reporter pointing out the post to me, because you see the reporter was getting hate. I want every and, and what they did was they applied pressure to him to apologize, because this is how journalists operate. So I know what happened. It's fine. But it happened in secret. I want everyone to understand that this was my decision to publicly address the post and apologize, and I believe that is the right thing to do. Now, Anheuser-Busch decided, based on the journalist dredging up these tweets from a 16-year-old boy who had a history of anti-racism after the fact as an adult, Anheuser-Busch withdrew the deal. So, those poor children that are suffering and in pain because of one journalist at the Des Moines Register who wanted to make a name for themselves, they lost $1.14 million. Gone. Kids with terminal illnesses and no outlook on life could have had sick gaming systems like gamers outreach do or could have been made more comfortable in their last tragic weeks of life gone because a journalist immediately went into advanced twitter search something they think is journalism and took tweets from a child and held the man, eight years later, accountable to that standard. And because of how corporate America works, and how social media works, Anheuser-Busch knew that no one would blame them, the corporation, for not adhering to a promise because 16-year-old boys making edgy racist jokes should definitely give them a pass on keeping promises to dying kids. So in a statement, an Anheuser-Busch representative said, we'll still give $350,000 to the children's hospital, but we sever all associations with King because his tweets that he made when he was a 16-year-old boy do not align with our values. But then, because the internet has a sense of natural justice, it's always had this, they dredged into the history of the journalist that did the story. And it turned out he had racist tweets. And not just racist tweets. Tweets that were talking about molesting kids. I'll show you one which, <laughs> which by the way, he made as an adult. 
One tweet said, he tweeted at a school and said, can I be a guest instructor at your theatre camp teaching kids how to abuse substances and turn tricks? Another tweet said, I want to grow up and read sex scenes to high schoolers. He used the N-word. He said, fuck NYPD. Fuck all cops. So, he got fucking rumbled, didn't he? <laughs> the Des Moines Register had to come out and said, here's a statement from our editor. Some of the toughest decisions in journalism are about what to publish or not. People around the nation have been captivated by the heartwarming story of Carson King, the 24-year-old Iowan, whose handmade game day sign asking for beer money prompted hundreds of dollars in do donations. And then when he decided to donate the money to Stead Family Children's Hospital, hundreds of thousands of dollars poured in. On Monday evening, Register reporter Aaron Calvin was assigned to interview King for a profile. On Tuesday, as he worked to write the story, he did a routine background check on King that included a review of publicly visible social media posts, a standard part of a reporter's work on a profile. Spoiler, this really shouldn't be standard work on a profile at all. If you're profiling a person, you don't really need to dredge into their old tweets at all. So it is an outrageous, outrageous lie to make out this is standard practice. It's not. And it nor does it need to be if it is. Cal, uh, Calvin found two two racist jokes that King had posted as a sixteen year old. Calvin asked King about them, and he expressed deep regret. That prompted a discussion involving several registered editors about how best to proceed. Should that material be included in the profile? The jokes were highly inappropriate and were public. Shouldn't that be acknowledged to all the people who had donated money to King's cause or were planning to do so? The counter-arguments. The tweets, the tweets were posted when King was 16 and he was remorseful. Should we chalk up the post to a youthful mistake and omit the information? Eventually, our editors decided we must include the information, but at the bottom of the story. We thought we should be transparent about what we had found, but not highlighted at the top of the story, or as a separate story, it was planned as a few paragraphs towards the bottom of the profile. But the decision about how to use this information was preempted when King held a news conference to discuss his tweets and express his remorse. Yes, that's right. He did the correct thing and didn't trust journalism outlets how to tell his story. Good on him. The news conference was covered by local television stations, which first reported on the racist posts and King's remorse. After those stories aired, Arnoiser Bush Light's parent company announced it would honor his pledge to the Children's Hospital, which it didn't. It promised to match all of the donations, but and it didn't, but would sever future ties with King. 
That happened before the register published the profile of King, which was still in the editing process. King also posted this statement on Facebook. The Des Moines Register has been nothing but kind in all of their coverage, and I appreciate the reporter pointing out the post to me. Makes you wonder what else they dredged up on him and threatened him with. I want everyone to understand that this was my decision to publicly address the post and apologize. I believe it is the right thing to do. Reasonable people can look at the same set of facts and disagree on what merits publication, but rest assured, such decisions are not made lightly. And then, what comes next? They make a statement, nowhere near as long as that one, that simply says, the register is aware of reports of inappropriate social media posts by one of our staffers and an investigation has begun so that investigation resulted in the journalist being fired because if you tear other people down your position should be untenable if 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 you're saying yo you did all this like crazy racist shit dog when you were a child and it's bad and then you go into their twitter history and it turns out wait a fucking minute you've done the same but you were an adult yes you must be cancelled by the way i've just spent a weekend doing this for all these fucking games journalists um and it is insane the level of hypocrisy ben kachera has tweeted about gassing people and all sorts of crazy shit um, and yet he has the audacity to sit as an editor at Polygon, which regularly fucking lectures uh, people about how to behave. So anyway, here's the, uh, the apology they issued. We hear you. You're angry. Here's what we are doing about it. The Des Moines Register staff has heard from hundreds of people in the past few days upset over our handling of the Carson King story. We've listened with an open mind to everyone, but especially Iowans, the people who are our neighbors, who care as much as we do about our state and everyone who lives here. And we hear you. You're angry, you're disappointed, and you want us to understand that. So I want to be as transparent as possible about what we did and why, answer the questions you've raised and tell you what we've learned so far and that we'll try and what we'll try to do better. For one, we're revising our policies and practices, including those that did not uncover our own reporters past inappropriate social media postings. Because, yes, isn't this interesting? The editors claimed that when doing a profile on a non-public figure, it is essential that they go through and see if you've got any naughty tweets from when you were a child. Yet, when hiring staff to work representing their company they do not do the same checks hypocrites liars one and all hypocrites and liars one and all and they are not apologizing because a disgusting greasy excuse for a journalist deprived dying kids of hundreds of thousands of dollars that could have made a real difference they're apologizing because they got caught with their moral grandstanding and their bullshit
There isn't a standard in society, by the way, where we say actions you commit as children reflect you as an adult. Except in the world of gotcha journalism and tabloid sleaze. King's generosity is a great story, and the Stead Family Children's Hospital is a great cause. The story shifted Tuesday evening, however, when we made it shift, when King held a news conference with local TV stations to acknowledge racist tweets from his past, and Bush Light, one of the companies bankrolling his fundraising, distanced itself from him. The Register reporter writing the profile had discovered the tweets on King's public timeline earlier in the day, and he asked King about them, and King, to his credit, expressed immediate regret. The timeline gets a bit complicated here. It's really not complicated. Register editors discussed at length whether we include the information about the tweets and King's remorse on our public profile, but we were still editing the story when King talked to local TV stations. Bushlight announced his decision shortly afterwards. We hadn't yet published anything about his tweets. When some people on social media began accusing the register of doing King wrong and ruining a potential opportunity to continue raising millions of dollars to help sick children, which is exactly what you did. Many of you have said the timeline is besides the point. It is. You've asked, instead, why we chose to look into King's tweet in the first place. Some of you then noticed questionable tweets by the reporter himself, which the Register then began to investigate. I'll discuss some of the steps in our decision-making later, but rest assured, we're examining all of our processes with fresh eyes. In response to this week's conversations, we're focused on our policies for backgrounding individuals in stories, with particular attention to acts committed by juveniles, and to the newsworthiness of that information years later. By the way, Carson King, a non-public figure, raising money for charity, in a way that was beyond his control, amplified by the nature of social media. Things he did when he was 16, not newsworthy, by the way. Not newsworthy. Absolutely not newsworthy. The shift in social media culture and how activities on these platforms reflect upon a person's newsworthiness in general, and our screening policy and social media vetting for employees. Some of you wonder why journalists think it's necessary to look into someone's past. No. No. No, Des Moines Register. We don't. We actually understand that because we're not morons. What we don't understand is why you take a non-public figure and then some greasy little grasping journalist who just couldn't handle that somebody else was the center of attention that was assigned to the story who wanted to have his big fucking because he's never going to get a Watergate moment. So he's having some fucking dry jack off fantasy about tearing somebody down, decided to then hold a non-public figure accountable to things they did as a child to the detriment of actual sick children, you see, because there is no excuse for that. It's essential, they say. In this case, our initial stories drew so much interest that we decided to write a profile of King to help readers understand, listen to this bullshit, listen to this justification, to help readers understand the young man behind the handmade sign and the outpouring of donations to the children's hospital. Two edgy racist jokes. 
age 16. I really, when I choose to donate to a children's hospital, I really need to know that, don't I? Here's what's interesting. I wish you cunts in the media would focus as much on charities that actually when you donate, you donate a dollar and 70 cents doesn't actually go to the cause and goes to people's salaries and other bullshit. You never don't see many articles about that actually nah it's a lot easier to dunk on a 24 year old boy on fucking uh, social media though isn't it right you, a lot more hate clicks the register had no intention to disparage or otherwise cast a negative light on king when we chose to highlight tweets that were racially insensitive and inexcusable in doing backgrounding for such a story, reporters talk to family, friends, colleagues, or professors. We check court and arrest records, as well as other pertinent public records. By the way, an arrest record for fraud would be absolutely relevant in this uh, situation. But that would be about it. An arrest, if he'd been arrested for, like, breaking and entering, like, as a juvenile, that wouldn't be relevant either, by the way. There have been numerous case, cases nat nationally of fundraising for a person experiencing a tragedy that was revealed as a scam. Look how they're justifying it. Look how they're justifying it. They're comparing it to scam artistry. He did two bad tweets at 16. But you're the heroes. As journalists, we have obligations to look into matters completely, to aid the public in understanding the people we write about, and in some cases to whom money is donated. <sighs> Once we've obtained that information in background checks, how do we decide what to publish? It weighed heavily on our minds that the racist jokes King tweeted, which we never published. Good on you. You didn't publish the jokes were disturbing and highly inappropriate on the other hand we also weighed heavily that the tweets were posted more than seven years ago when king was 16 and he was highly remorseful we ultimately decided to include a few paragraphs at the bottom of the story as it turned out our decision making process was preempted when king held his evening news conference yeah you said that king told us later that Bushlight representatives had called him early Tuesday afternoon to say the company was severing any future relationship. Neither the Register nor King had notified the company about the tweets. Bushlight made its decision independently, so we're okay. We dug up the tweets, threatened the dude, and he went public to preempt our threats so he could get ahead of the story, which is the smart advice, so it's not our fault. Now let's talk about Register employees. I'll turn the investigation to our reporters' social media. Until readers called to our attention some inappropriate posts from several years ago, the register was definitely unaware of them, totally, we promised. Employees of the register are vetted through typical employment screening methods, which can include a review of past social media activity, but the screening process did not surface those tweets. Register employees additionally must review and agree with company-wide social media policy that includes a statement that employees do not post comments that include discriminatory remarks, harassment, threats of violence, or similar conduct. We have also have policies that speak to our company values. We took the appropriate action because there is nothing more important than journalism than having the readers trust. None of what's happened... Check this out for a fucking lie. 
None of what's happened has slowed King's fundraising for the children's hospital. While Bush Light said it won't have f uh, further business with King, it is honoring its pledge, committing to donate more than $350,000. Other businesses from the Venmo Digital Payments Company to Goldie's Ice Cream Shop have stood by their pledges. But the pledge, the pledge was to match whatever he raised. <laughs> and now... You have done things that not only stop him raising money independently, but also gave Arnoiser-Bush the out to only give $350,000. You did that, Des Moines Register. Now, anyway, here's what's hilarious. That journalist that got caught with his fucking pants down. By the way, I saw one the other day. Another journalist. I'll, in fact, fuck it. I'll bring this up. Because you know I used to work for Turner, and you know I love Charles Barkley, and I've met Charles Barkley, and I've hung out with Charles Barkley, and let me tell you, Charles Barkley is a fucking G. The reason I'm bringing up Charles Barkley is, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Charles Barkley was at the center of a cancel, another attempt to cancel him. Um, and, uh, and many people have gone after Charles Barkley down the years, and it always makes me sick. Because Charles Barkley's a relic to a bygone era where you could speak your mind and make jokes and not have to worry about it. And yet people go after him. People always seem to take a pop. Imagine taking a pop at Charles Barkley, a guy who's done all this great work for race relations in America, or a guy that, like, is just a super nice dude. Well, anyway, and I see, I didn't prepare this for part of the show, but I, I'm going to get the tweets because I, I bookmarked them. Uh, where the fuck was it? I, I, I teed off on it. I, and I got blocked by some people. Um, here we go. So, uh, there was, um, there was, okay, so there was this journalist. It's always journalists. And this is why it's linked. So there was this journalist, uh, who is, uh, called Alexi. Macamond, Alexi Macamond. And what happened was she was doing an interview with uh, Charles Barkley, right? Now, Charles Barkley is an irreverent dude, as I said, speaks his mind, says what he wants to say, makes, makes jokes and inappropriate. And uh, what he did was um, he made a joke. She was interviewing him and he said, uh, here it is. Ch just FYI, Charles Barkley told me tonight, I don't hit women, but if I did, I would hit you. And then when I got upset, he said that I couldn't take a joke. Right? Now. These days. These days. I would never make that kind of joke with a female journalist but this is charles barkley he's an institution and he's a guy who has a long history of speaking his mind this is the guy who said you know just because i can fucking you know do a triple double every game or whatever um he, I sh i'm not raising your kids don't look up to me as a role model this is a guy who got caught in a solicitation scandal and turner kept him on i think at the time um He's he's he is a, he is a guy that because of what he brings to the table, he's got to get an extra little bit of leeway. And in terms of crazy things, 
Charles Barkley said, this is nowhere near the the, the maddest thing. And as Wookie Potamus rightly identifies in the chat, that's the guy who makes my um, emotes, by the way. Show him some love. He's a great dude. Uh, it was a kind of off-the-record conversation. It's not like he said, yo, we're on the record now. Here's a quote. I don't hit women, but if I did hit women, I'd hit you. It wasn't like that. Anyway, this Alexi Makamon decided to go up on Twitter, tweet about it. And she did, like, just FYI, Charles Bartley told me tonight, you don't hit women, blah, blah, blah. Then I did. I hate being part of a story. Yeah, clearly. This is why you tweeted an off-the-record fucking quote. So here's a reminder that this is so much bigger than me. Nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the US. I didn't know you were having sex with Charles Barkley, by the way. I didn't know he was an intimate partner. So I don't really know where you're going with this. But it's a classic journalistic fucking trick. Where what they do is, wait, people are criticizing me for the things I've said. I will attach it to a much bigger cause than me. That isn't a direct link. And hope nobody notices. Well, of course we fucking notice. Of course we fucking notice. Domestic abuse between partners has nothing to do with Charles Bartley making a joke saying, I, I don't hit women. <laughs> Does it? Really? It's not about me or my feelings, though I'm grateful for the many friends who have reached out, but it's about refusing to allow this culture to perpetuate because of silence on these issues. So again, talking about intimate domestic abuse between loving partners or non-loving partners, as it might be, and people silent being being intimidated and too intimidated to break out, which is a real problem. And a guy you were interviewing off the record making an, an off-color joke. It's easier and less awkward to be silent, but that helps no one but the perpetrator. There is no perpetrator in this scenario. It's Charles Barkley saying Charles Barkley things. I encourage you to consider how you'd respond if a friend said something similar to what Barkley said tonight. If it was a friend, I'd be even less inclined to care. And then challenge yourself to ask the same of yourself if a stranger or celebrity said that. I hope the answers are the same. Everyone should be held accountable. For those in a way, see Steve Smith, another journalist, came in and said, For those unaware, Barkley also once said this, and then later claimed to be joking too. Barkley said, This is a game that if you lose, you go home and beat your wife and kids. Did you see my wife jumping up and down at the end of the game? That's because she knew I wasn't going to beat her. Now, that's a joke about him and his wife. <laughs> Bit inappropriate, but it's Charles Barkley saying Charles Barkley things. Charles Barkley does not beat his wife. So, again... Good on you, Steve Smith, for the white knighting. ESPN journalist. Alexi Macamond, another journalist. Uh, good to see you. Happy debate day. I'll be on MSNBC. Brilliant. Loving that. Anyway, what do you think happens next? <laughs> wow. Wow. After calling his company and two employees telling me he had been hacked, 
David got on the phone and said, I wasn't threatening you. I simply said, if I hit women, which I don't, you'd be a good candidate. This is insane. This is from David A. Dolan at the CPA. Tweeted the same joke at her. And then she went outraged. Double outraged. To make it out that, you know, there was a bunch of shit going on. Um, anyway, Turner Sports issue a statement, as they've had to do for Charles in the past. Turner Sports PR is great. They covered my ass many times. They've got great people over there. Uh, I want to say there's a guy called Nate. I fucking miss you, brother. I know you were always there for me uh, when all the lunatics came. And you were a great guy. And, you know, we didn't see each other much towards the end because you, you got sick. But uh, you were a fucking legend, Nate. I really miss you as much as I miss Ben and all the, all the other dudes. Statement on behalf of Charles Bartley in response to the tweet by the Axios reporter Alexi Macamond. My comment was inappropriate and unacceptable. It was an attempted joke that wasn't funny at all. There's no excuse for it, and I apologize. Then, after the apology was issued, she fucking then tweets out, the comment Charles Bartley made to me are not acceptable. Yeah, he, he said that. <laughs> Threats of violence are not a joke. He said that. No person deserves to be hit or threatened like that. He said that. Silence only allows this culture of misogyny to fester, and those kinds of comments don't merit off-the-record protections. So she even admitted that as a journalist, she violated the off-the-record ethical covenant that you must adhere to at all times. Publicly admitted it. You're done. Why have you got a job? You admitted that you violated off-the-record protections outrageous anyway don't don't worry guys has a funny ending i saw my boy getting wrecked and i started looking into her tweets because isn't that what us journalists do right that's what we do when people are misbehaving we start looking at their tweets now i can't show you two of them but she likes to use the n-word and people told me, Richard, she can use the N-word. She's, she's dual heritage, mixed race. All right, then. You got me. What about all the horrible shit she said about Asians, though? She said horrible shit about Asians, Richard? Oh, yeah. Let's have a look. Outdone by Asian. What's new? Now Googling how not to wake up with swollen Asian eyes. Give me a 2 out of 10 on my chem problem. Cross out all of the work and don't explain what I did wrong. Thanks a lot, stupid Asian TA. You're great. She was like an old Asian woman. Lol, 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 lol. Threw in a couple of M words I can't show you because it violates TOS. Weird how that cancel culture thing works, isn't it? So, this was, this was tweeted at her. I tweeted it out. Her friend came with a fence. Her friend got wrecked. Because, 
you know, if you invoke cancel culture, if you say a, an off-the-record joke must be held accountable, then your public tweets as a journalist are definitely accountable. But what do you think happens because she's a journalist? How do you think this story ends? Right? Here we go. Scroll down. Today, I was reminded of some past insensitive tweets. And I am deeply sorry to anyone I offended. I have since deleted those tweets as they do not reflect my views or who I am today. It took seven hours. It took seven hours from her trying to cancel somebody for an off-the-record comment to her having to apologize for public comments she made, racist public comments she made. And because she's a journalist, she gets away with it. Meanwhile, Charles Barkley's probably been sanctioned, fined. Who knows what how it was dealt with internally? I certainly hope not. But I will just add, every time she's blocked me, but every time she ever tries to morally grandstand again, those tweets are forever, darling. That's the internet. So you will be seeing them many, many times over. My advice stay away from topics relating to racism homosexuality cancel culture i'd give all those a wide fucking birth right and yes eugene goo mentally ill man is there but actually eugene goo mentally ill man is in there Men mentally ill struck off doctor is on there uh, and and actually saying yes it's terrible the racism us asians go through because he he made up a story about being racially abused by a drunk driver one time and that's partially how he rose to prominence but don't you ever come at my boy charles barkley you fucking fake journalist hack axios i don't even know who that is she honestly thought this is it. This is my moment. She thought she was going to be able to, like, leapfrog in fame over Charles. But fuck you and your fucking racist tweets. Let's read into it more, eh? Fuck you. Never come up, my boy. Even from beyond the Turner grave, I'm looking after Chuck. Because I'll never forget that laughing man when he came in that trailer and high-fived us all for Wrecking Shack. I'll never forget it. And I can be every bit of sleazy, scumbag journalist as you. I just choose not to unless it's against other journalists. Then I'll do it. You see, I'm like Robin Hood. <laughs> Thieving is wrong when it's from the poor. <laughs> when it's from the mega wealthy, it's got a different context, hasn't it? It's got a different context. Scumbag journalism's bad unless it wrecks other scumbag journalists. Right, right. Judo. Judo. Anyway, so I'll, that was another example. We're coming to the crescendo. The whole screen comes together here in this moment. Because there's been this concerted effort now that uh, Twitter are going to start protecting the journalists. They have to protect them. They absolutely must protect the journalists. And they've been talking about this for a while. Let me just show you this article in TechCrunch. Look at this. You might get some strobes here if I remember TechCrunch is terrible. Oof, not just... I don't even know what the fuck. This website's like it was created by a fucking child with no eyes. Okay, 
I got this. Eugene Goo, I know. Man, when I do that series of videos, Resistance Inc., dudes, you're going to love Resistance Inc. It's going to blow your mind. Resistance Incorporated. Um, it's got all the great guys in there. Here we go. Should we rethink the politics of blocking? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely we should. This is from October 2019. Yeah, we should. We should definitely. Blocking, the politics of it is terrible. It's blocking bad. Everyone should have to read each other's inane bullshit all of the time. You're, yeah, journalists. Uh, years ago, I wrote a piece criticizing a cover story by a well-known writer and political commentator I'd met a few times with whom I'd occasionally sparred with on Twitter. The piece wasn't merely a representation of my own views, but pulled in snarky tweets from other journalists disparaging her work too. It was a pile-on. Not my proudest moment. Weird that. The writer wasn't exactly thin-skinned, in fact, quite the contrary. She was brash, sometimes obnoxious feminist with strong opinions and afraid to speak her mind. I often agreed with her, even when I found her delivery abrasive. Still, after a couple of years with me as a thorn in her side, she decided she'd had enough. And so she did something that many readers will find familiar. She blocked me on Twitter. The block button is an important tool that allows women and other vulnerable people, never men, Never the highest percentage of suicide. And other vulnerable people to have some semblance of the same Twitter experience that the average white man might, free from constant harassment. Pew Research shows that men are the most abused group on the internet. Fact. Don't research those. Don't use those in your article. I couldn't tell you how many times I've used it over the years to drown out nasty ad hominems, sea lions, because of that meme, and of course, sexual harassment, and worse. Twitter wasn't always the hell site we know it as today. Many early users like me found professional advancement and lasting friendship in 140 character missives. Far be it from me to suggest your life's a dysfunctional nightmare if that's what you find your friends. But as the site grew, so did its potential for misuse. By 2014, two years shy of its 10th anniversary, Twitter had become central to... Wait, I think it deserves a voice. I don't even know which voice this is. Oh, here we go. Gamergate. Central to the Gamergate controversy. Ostensibly... A dispute about issues of sexism and progressivism in gaming. But on Twitter, a free-for-all of harassment and doxing. Of any woman who even tangentially involved in, uh, even tangentially involved in a discussion. The harassment was so severe, it drove women off the site permanently. Out of Gamergate, emerge better tools for blocking. Tools like Block Together. This is a, a block bot you sign up to that allow individual users to share a list of people they've blocked. The idea behind these tools is that harassers are likely to have multiple targets, so why not make it easier for potential targets of harassment to block numerous would-be harassers all at once. But blocked together in sim uh, and similar tools are not without flaws. Once you're on a block list, it can be hard to get your name removed. And if you end up, for whatever reason, on one created by a prominent or well-respected user, you can find yourself blocked by people who don't know you and would have enjoyed following. 
Some might call this reasonable collateral damage. Numerous journalists and others have complained. the journalists. Numerous journalists and others have complained of finding themselves on a block list after a disagreement with an individual who uses them. Funnily enough, let me tell you my strangest blocks. I'm blocked by David Baddiel, British comedian, who used to be in Newman and Baddiel, uh, which were one of my favourite duos growing up. Yeah, fuck off, Caesar. Yeah, I miss you, dude. Um, love you, scumbag. And then, of course, it was Sk uh, Baddiel and Skinner. Three lines on a shirt every four years or whatever. He's got me blocked. Don't know why. Love him. I even bought his books, including that one of Time to Sleep about his insomnia. It's not even that good. Block me. William Shatner has got me blocked. I don't know why. I like him. There I got a ton of people who've got me blocked. And it's clear that they're using a block bar or whatever. You know, or maybe even the person who handles their Twitter account is. But it's fine. You know, like, I'll just live with it. I don't get to see William Shatner's tweets, I guess. I still get, anytime I turn on that classic episode of The Twilight Zone, I get to see him freak out about a gremlin on a plane. So, which one do I prefer? Yeah, actually, I prefer his acting to his tweets, probably. Really strange. So, I've never cried about being blocked. I'm on a lot of block bots because I spent time at Breitbart. Six months at Breitbart. Trust me, I'm on every Nazi block bot going, and it's a ball ache. But it is what it is. It's a potential smear against my reputation just by virtue of it. But I support people's right to block whoever the fuck they want on Twitter. Like, what the fuck? Why wouldn't I? That's dumb. Hmm. Anyway. Numerous journalists have complained of finding themselves on a block list after a disagreement with an individual who uses them. I'm unfortunately on one used by a number of journalists. Why, you might ask, was I blocked in the first place? I'm going to guess it's because you're a cunt, but let's check it out. I remember it quite clearly. It was for disagreeing with someone about the life sentence handed to Ross Ulbricht, the creator of the Silk Road website. For my opinion... I've lost the ability to follow or interact with dozens of journalists whose work I read. Sucks that, doesn't it, when people wreck you for your opinion? Said <laughs> the woman who just said all white men <laughs> exist in this utopic existence. It's weird, that. Uh, despite that, I don't blame women or other minorities. Yeah, we, we get it. You hate white men. Yeah, we know. Who've experienced harassment for using the block button liberally. Blocking someone isn't a matter of free speech. Unless, of course, the blocker is an elected official, as some of my harassers have claimed. Rather, it's often a matter of preserving one's sanity. The block button, along with block lists, are useful tools for curating space. Not a safe space, per se, but one free from random harassers, spammers, etc. Think of it more as a large invite-only event, as opposed to a New York street. And yet... I can't help but wonder if our liberal use of the block button prevents us from experiencing the kind of reconciliation that can happen in our offline communities. We often remove someone from our life only for them to apologize their way back in later on. 
Even the Amish, yeah, even... <laughs> what a line that is, even the Amish. <laughs> is she fucking high, dude? Even the like, what's wrong with the Amish, dudes? I, I really like the Amish, actually. I think they're pretty cool. They probably think I'm a fucking piece of shit. But they're, I think they're really cool, dude. I, you know, they live in fucking rural communities. They don't contribute anything carbon footprint-wise. They use horses, you know. Uh, they fucking raise barns. They just don't want anyone to fuck with them. And they just want to live a life free from distraction and get closer to God as a result of it. Like, that's pretty fucking sick, actually. I really like them. I've often thought, by the way... Instead of rehab, I should just run away and join like an Amish community. That would be like that would save me. It would like it would it would it would it would end my career, I guess. Uh, although, like, would they allow me to have a typewriter, or is that too close to like the devil's machinery? I don't even know. But I, I could write it all by hand, so I could keep extensive notes, I guess, and then one day come out. You know, when I'm old and fucked, come out of the Amish community publish all of the shit I wrote, and then enjoy immortality posthumously. It's not the worst thing. But yeah, typewriters are banned. Yeah, I figured. Um, but you know, like, even the Amish. I just, like, simmer down, darling. Like, you know, white men's one thing. Leave the fucking Amish alone. They're all right. I like the Amish. Anyway, even the Amish who practice shunning as a matter of faith, they do do that. Yes, if you ever violate any of the tenets of the Amish, you are shunned. You have to be shunned. They cast you out of the community and everything else. Allow for the repented to return. Yes, that is also true. Very rarely. Twitter's architecture has changed over time, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. Presently, its algorithm sometimes surfaces replies from people you do follow to tweets from individuals you don't. Based on some assumption, you might find them interesting. Occasionally, it will surface a reply from a friend to someone with a locked account, or in a rare case, to someone who blocks you, as it did for me the other day. Sometimes, oh, sorry, someone I follow had replied with an interesting comment to a tweet from the writer. A tweet that, of course, I couldn't see without logging out and going directly to her profile. And so I did. What I found was someone who, with that same fierce energy, seemed a lot more thoughtful, with views more similar to mine than I remembered. I felt a momentary pang of sadness for the camaraderie that might have been. Shouldn't have been a cunt then. I realized the obvious, that we've both grown alongside the backdrop of the horrific political environment that's accompanied us through the past half decade. Have you thought about reaching out to her? A friend asked. Therein lies the rub. In the case of the writer, I could reach out to her. We've met in person a few times. We retain mutual friends. She might respond favorably, or with a thanks, but no thanks. But either way, it's unlikely she would deem my approach to be harassment. But as this other journalist I've never interacted with, who no doubt signed up to a block list that I happen to be on, I discovered that she blocked me when I went to read uh, when I when I went to read a tweet someone had DM'd me, and was disappointed. But reaching out to her through some other channel would seem weird and invasive. It isn't worth it. I recently reviewed my own blocked accounts. My own list of blocked accounts. You can do so through your settings. A list that numbers well into the hundreds. Oh, only hundreds. The lady doth protest too much. Thousands, if not tens of thousands. Most aren't worth revisiting. There are sexual harassers and transphobe. Bahraini bots and Roseanne Barr. Yeah, she's definitely worth blocking. 
some Trumpites and a few high-profile right-wing accounts. So what you're saying is you do block people on the basis of their opinions not aligning with yours, exactly what's happened to you. Uh, okay, good to know. But among them, close to the bottom of the list, coinciding with the early days of the block button, I spotted a few outliers and decided to give them a second chance. Technology is constantly changing and progressing, and yet the block button and block lists remain in rudimentary form. She's fucking having a meltdown. This is ridiculous. They're simply not priorities for companies whose focus is on profit. But were we to redesign them, perhaps we could find a way to make block time limited, or at least provide users with more nuanced options. One such existing feature is Facebook's snooze button, which allows users to mute another person for 30 days with a reminder when that time period is up. I found that one particularly handy last summer while a friend was going heavy on self-promotion. I used Twitter's mute function to rid my feed of people with whom I have to interact professionally and thus can't block. And then there's a soft block, a feature or bug, it isn't clear, when one can block and unblock someone quickly on Twitter so that the user no longer follows them at least until they wise up. These tools are helpful. I've done that, by the way, a few times. It's nice to just get someone off you. Don't follow me. I don't need people seeing that you follow me. <laughs> Go away. It's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a life hack, that is. Um, anyway, these tools are helpful, but with all the riches these companies have, they could design something with input from those most affected by harassment. Us! The brave female journalists. That is less blunt, more elegant, more thoughtful. Ultimately, the block button is an imperfect solution to a pervasive problem and therefore remains as necessary as ever. I know that I'll continue to use it as long as I'm on social media, but don't we deserve something better? Sounds like a bit of a weird personal gripe, Jillian C. York. Sounds like you're just mentally fucked <laughs> and you want us all. It's really simple. Just don't, don't be a dickhead to people. They won't block you. Uh, if you're on a block bot, you can talk to the people individually and say, hey, can you not? I don't know why I'm blocked. If you want to beg and grovel like that, or you can just like log out and read their tweets anyway. It's really basic. But anyway, I wanted to put that out there. That's part of the story. Then you have this BuzzFeed. Check this out. This is this is crazy. Ignore that top bit, right? This is journalists on BuzzFeed talking about how they don't like the quote retweet and they interviewed the guy who invented the retweet. <laughs> Imagine being the guy that invented the retweet. So BuzzFeed invented, uh, interviewed him and asked him about his invention. And here it is. This is a, a guy, uh, this is the guy, uh, Weatherall, is who they're referring to. He joined Twitter in 2009 as a contractor fresh off a run at Google, where he built Google Reader, a once beloved RSS aggregator. The company has since discontinued. In working on Reader, Weatherall immersed himself in the study of how information spreads online and built a reputation in Silicon Valley for his expertise. So when Evan Williams, the C then the CEO of Twitter, wanted to build a retweet button, he called Weatherall. I was very excited about the opportunity, he said, noting that he initially felt the retweet button would elevate voices 
from underrepresented communities. Because that's what it's really all about, guys. Before Weatherall joined Twitter, people had to manually retweet each other. So if you guys don't remember this part of Twitter, uh, you, most of you won't. You used to have to literally type RT, and then you would sort of copy-paste the text into a tweet and then and then tweet it out. Yeah, so there you go. Arzen12 has it. Yeah, you remember that? You didn't like... you. There wasn't a button for it. <laughs> so, yeah... You, you had to, like, literally, RT, and then type it all out. You know, copy-paste someone else's tweet and then tweet it, and then what it would do is it would make people know where the source of the tweet was. And what's interesting is on subsequent updates, actually, it doesn't link to the accounts anymore. So it when, when a lot of people get dunked on by people going into advanced Twitter search, you have to know that if it says RT and then it says something racist or something nasty, they were actually retweeting something racist or nasty from somebody else. So a lot of people don't understand that because they weren't around on Twitter back in the day. And yeah, you could. Uh, Jacobash points out that also lended itself to abuse because you could do an RT and you can make, uh, it used to be you could even at the start of it make changes to the quotes and it would still be attributed to the to the person. So you would need to see the original tweet to know that the thing you said was a retweet wasn't a retweet. So it was a fucking mess. It was a, it was it, it was it was really bad. I mean, I I signed up in like I don't even know was it two thousand nine two thousand and ten. And I remember people saying to me, oh, you got to get a Twitter account. And I was like, ah, I don't think I do, actually. I called it Twitter. I think I coined that term. Um, I think that was that literally my first tweet was me saying, signed up to Twitter. Um, you know what I mean? Um, because to me, it just looked like a bunch of self-grandizing assholes. Like, it wasn't any different of Facebook. It was like, people were just talking about a name shit about their lives. And it was, oh, no, no. I, you know, couldn't have foreseen that it became this, like, essential part of the political landscape and everything else. It's like, it's fucking AIDS that it's actually been successful. Because it's a terrible platform. Um, did Stuart Lee steal my joke? Did he call it Twitter? Oh my god. Rockstar beat me too. I don't know. Listen. I'm a smart guy. I'm willing to admit that I came up with Twitter independently of anybody else. It might have already existed. And any subsequent uses of Twitter were probably also with the smart people. But, you know, Twitter in 2009, 2010, very different to what it is now. And this is why people get caught out. You go, why do so many people have bad tweets from 10 years ago? Because you could say whatever the fuck you wanted on Twitter. It was like literally shouting into a void. You didn't know where the tweet was going to go. So anyway. Only two or three times did someone ask a broader and more interesting social question, which was, what is getting shared? Weatherall said. It almost never came up. After the retweet button debuted, Weatherall was struck by how effective it was at spreading information. It did a lot of what it was designed to do, he said. It had a force multiplier that other things didn't have. We would talk about earthquakes, Weatherall said. We talked about these first response situations that were always a positive and showed where humanity was in its best light. But the button also changed Twitter in a way Weatherall and his colleagues hadn't anticipated. Copying and pasting made people look at what they shared and think about it, at least for a moment. 
When the retweet button debuted, that friction diminished. Impulse superseded the at least minimal degree of thoughtfulness once baked into sharing. Before the retweet, Twitter was largely a convivial place. After all, uh, wait, after all hell, sorry, I misplaced the comment. After all hell broke loose and spread. Chaos spread. In the early 2010s, Facebook's leadership was looking for ways to drive up engagement. Having previously failed to acquire Twitter, they did try to buy it. Uh, they looked to uh, they looked to its product for its inspiration. The allure of going viral via the retweet had drawn publications, journalists, and politicians to Twitter en masse. This is ground zero for everything that's wrong with Twitter right now, by the way. Um, that's interesting. Because this article is going to turn it all around and say it's about you. But this is where Twitter went wrong. Everybody was, wait, 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 so there's a button. And if people like what you're doing, it spreads. And if everybody who follows them sees it and they spread it, it goes out and out and out. And we just get nonstop attention and publicity. Hmm. With, right. So all the scumbag professions lined up. Marketing journalism politics all the scumbag professions lined up to take advantage of this new feature and their presence shined most prominently during the 2012 election it's weird because i'm told now in 2016 and going into 2020 that that's a bad thing <laughs> but okay it was good in 2012 i, I can't think why uh, a big moment for Twitter and a relative did for Facebook. So Facebook, in a now all-too-familiar move, copied Twitter, adding a trending column, hashtags, and a retweet clone. Facebook was doing really, really well with getting photos of your friends and family and was looking outward and was saying, what else can we be? Josh Miller, a former Facebook product manager, told BuzzFeed. Twitter was obviously at its peak, and it was natural for the company to look and say, wait a minute. The newsfeed is about being your newspaper, and it should probably include updates from public discourse, news, personalities, and leaders. Facebook didn't have that in a lot of its content. Twitter did. Eight days. Yeah, no worries, dude. People can leave. You don't need to say goodbye. Appreciate you did. Nepotard. Making me say your name against TOS. Eight days. After the 2012 election, Facebook introduced its version of the retweet, the mobile share button. And at around the same time, Facebook upped the number of links in its newsfeed to encourage more sharing of public content. It's kind of an implicit message to people who use Facebook, which is, hey, newsfeed is for links. By introducing the button, Facebook invited disaster. And Twitter, which had the same dynamics in place, did too. An offensive conduit. In 2014... Whether, oh, what, what else? What else happened in 2014, guys? See if you can guess. I'll give you a clue. Gamergate. We're going to get there. In 2014, Weatherall realized the retweet button was going to be a major problem when the phrase ethics in games journalism started pouring into a saved search for journalism he had on Twitter. The phrase was a rallying cry for Gamergate. 
a harassment campaign against women in the games industry. Guys, repeat this lie until you die or you'll never be allowed to function in society, despite an FBI investigation proving it wasn't an organized hate campaign. Gamergate was a hate campaign against women. Say it with me. Gamergate was a hate campaign against women. It wasn't against games journalists. It wasn't a throwback to even 2012 when people were just sick of games journalists with their bullshit. It wasn't even precipitated by that embarrassing picture of Mountain Dew and Doritos at a game event to show how corporate fucking interests had infiltrated games journalism and were only being represented by then. It was nothing to do with all of the cliqueiness between games developers and games journalists, meaning you, the consumer, suffered. It was nothing to do with that. Gamergate. It was a hate campaign against women, despite all of the male journalists that were equally criticized alongside women. Gamergate. It was a hate campaign against women. Are we all on board with that, guys? Are we all on board with that? Okay, good. And Weatherall, <laughs> I'm serious, if you ever want to have a job, say that, and learn that, and repeat that, even if you don't think it in your heart, because it isn't true, but you will have to pretend it is. If you work, if you work in media or anything like that, for, I can't even tell you. When I was at the fucking Daily Dot, I can't tell you how many people were like, "Okay." When Gamergate was sort of panning out between 2014, 2015, I was working at the Daily Dot. I came in and went, "Yeah, this Gamergate thing, it's all bullshit, isn't it? Everyone's lying." And and and, and there was like, "This is like, what do you mean?" And I went, "Well, everyone's lying. It's obviously lies. It's not a. There's like valid, legitimate criticisms here." And we should probably cover those. And the, everyone's saying the post said that, like, she fucked this dude for good reviews, but it doesn't even say that in the original post. So we should we should report it accurately. And everyone went, Richard, I don't think you've read into this at all. No, no, it's right in front of me. I'm, I'm reading it now. What do you mean? We're, we're, not, we're not idiots. You're not an idiot, Ian. You're not an idiot, Callum. We're... We're smart people. We've covered esports intelligently. We should cover this intelligently. Richard, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know, but a lot's changed in the last twenty-four hours. Gamergate's a hate campaign against women. Wait, no, it isn't. So, it's, it's a hate. I mean, if any, if it's a hate campaign against anyone, it's a hate campaign against shit games journalists. It might, it might go too far, you know, but. Is it, what do we do we believe that weird silence in the meeting and then i noticed that even my own fellow journalists who work with me at the daily dot they started unfollowing me started unfollowing me on twitter and i'm like why why do my own colleagues not follow me anymore and my editor kevin was saying oh don't worry about them you know it's the game of things really important to them and then I noticed they would tweet endlessly about how games were bad and games were evil. I'm like, we write in a game section, Kevin. Like, what's going on? And then on that fateful day that I, after they edited my stories, so every time I used the word Gamergate in an article, it was Gamergate, a harassment campaign against women, TM. And I said, don't put that because that's A, it's not true. And B, I don't believe that and would never write that. 
they got upset with me objecting to that and then people wonder why when a beautiful gay man called milo yiannopoulos came in he was very easily able to misrepresent the virtues of writing at breitbart tech you see so anyway gamergate as gamergate unfolded whether all noticed its participants were using the retweet to brigade or coordinate their attacks against their targets disseminating misinformation and outrage at a pace that made it difficult to fight back the retweet button propelled gamergate According to an analysis by the technologist and blogger Andy Bio, in his study of 316,669 GameGate tweets sent over 72 hours, 270,384 were retweets. That's about 69%. Watching the GameGate tweets pour in, Weatherall brought up his concerns in therapy and then discussed them with a small circle of engineers working in social media at the time this is not something we need to think about he recalled one saying so it's interesting isn't it because what this article is telling you is that they liked the idea of sharing consensus and sharing uh, agreement and sharing things people liked the look of when it all lined up with their personal beliefs and yet when Gamergate happened and people went yeah games journalism is rotten to the fucking core and we need to fucking sort that out actually and they used that retweet button to spread that message now it was a problem Almost, I, I don't know, guys. It's almost as if this is pretty much the only story you really need to know about anything. It's good when it works for them, but it's bad when it works for us. Tech in a nutshell. <clears throat> right. Let's get down to 2016, shall we? The game took another dark turn during the 2016 presidential campaign when impulse spark sharing caused outrage and disinformation to flourish on both Twitter and Facebook. It's one thing to copy and paste a link that says Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring in the basement of a pizza shop. And share it under your own name. I, I never even heard any Pizzagator actually allege that. Podesta, yes. Clinton, no. It's another to see someone else post it. Remember that you don't like Hillary Clinton and impulsively hit the share or retweet button. We have some evidence that people who are more likely to stop and think are better at telling truth from falsehoods. David Rand, an associate professor at MIT, who studies misinformation, told BuzzFeed News, even for stuff that they are motivated to believe, people who stop and think are less likely to believe the false stuff. 
It wasn't only politicians and foreign entities that geared their messaging, stoke outrage, spark sharing, but the press too. In the rush to get stories that would be retweeted and shared, they disregard speed bumps that otherwise might cause them to hold on a story, such as in the case of Juicy Smollett, the actor who police say staged a hate crime earlier in the year. He did. The benefits of creating such content accrued disproportionately to the fringe. So I like that. One paragraph. Oh yeah, and journalists were cunts too. But let's get back to these fringe right-wingers and not talk about us who are meant to know better. Let's talk about these guys who actually have no obligation to tweet anything but self-serving bullshit. The benefits of creating such uh, content accrued disproportionately to the fringe. When someone retweets something, they're sharing the content with their followers, but also sending a signal to the person they're amplifying, said Anil Dash, a blogger and tech entrepreneur. The more fringe the original tweeter, the more valuable the retweet. If I retweet the New York Times, they don't care, Dash said. But extreme content comes from people who are trying to be voices, who are trying to be influential in culture, and so it has a meaning to them. It's so it earns me status with them. Interesting. They say that it's only right-wing fringe people that do this. Because the Krasensteins did this. What was that other guy? The Will something with the big nipples? You know, with the giant nips? What was his name? Will Big Nip. Yeah, good one. Yeah, him. Will Big Nips. Not Will Wheaton, not Will Big Nips. Will Leggett, Gulags for Antifa. Your name's an outrage, sir, but thank you, you got it right. William Leggett, there you go. Will Big Nips indeed, ladies and gentlemen. So, many left-wing hashtag resistance inc. Eugene Goo. There's another example. These people all rose to prominence and got huge followings by just putting out disinformation as well. Nah, nah, nah. Ignore that. It's all the nasty, only right-wingers do it. After a brutal 2016 election season, Facebook and Twitter reformed their policies, but as a new presidential election approaches, their services remain filled with harassment outraged and sensationalized news. Yeah, and that's just CNN and MSNBC. Because the companies have barely touched the machinery itself. Advertising revenue keeps the system in place. For every dollar an advertiser spends pumping up a piece of sponsored content, it can count on some amount of shares and retweets to expand its audience organically. Don't need to read that next quote. We don't care about that. Let's get to this bit. To rein in the excesses of the retweet, Weatherall suggested social media companies must turn their attention towards the audience. When thousands of people retweet or share the same tweet or post, they are part of an audience. A platform could revoke or suspend the retweet ability from audiences that regularly amplify awful posts, said Weatherall. Curation of individuals is way too hard, as YouTube could attest. But curation of an audience is a lot easier. So what they're suggesting here is, if you set, if you put a tweet out that they don't like, and it goes viral, and everyone retweets it, and it blows up, they come in and limit you 
and anyone else that shared your tweet, they lose their ability to retweet and you use, you lose your ability to post. Is that reasonable? Apparently so. That's what they literally want to do. And again, whining from journalists. Now, the crescendo, ladies and gentlemen. The whole thing the stream's been building up to. Because I remember, four hours. I've done four hours and 18 minutes, guys. This is a marathon for me. Let's do it. Richard, you have talked endlessly about journalists and social media, and nobody knows why. Why are you doing this? It didn't even seem linked to the earlier thing, and now you've gone off on a tangent about how you're not right-wing, and all the viewers are going away because your right-wing audience doesn't like it that you're not right-wing, and your left-wing audience is confused and scared. Okay. This is it. Neiman Labs reports. Little bird, little shadow. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, let's just do the headline. Twitter says, and by the way, this literally happened off the back of the story with the Arnoiser Bush guy. Twitter says, Twitter says, it wants to solve the journalist's career's end because someone digs up an old tweet problem. So even though you guys are more likely to be the victims of a journalist digging up your old tweet, the fact that the Arnoiser Bush journalist from the fucking Des Moines fucking record or whatever the fuck it was called got fucking wrecked, Twitter have now said, wait, we can turn it back on journalists? This is, it's a bridge too far. So they literally have now issued a statement as of October saying, we are not going to let journalists have their own their old tweets be brought up and we're going to fix it. So what are you going to do? Uh, Twitter has a very particular place in this phenomenon about the milkshake duck because it is simultaneously, A, the mainstream social platform that structurally most encourages the frequent sharing of brief tossed-off thoughts and, B, the platform least interested in rendering any of its content less than permanent. It's got a robust search function. You can't hide individual tweets, only an entire account. There's no way to keep some of your tweets limited to a small group of friends instead of the entire internet. And deleting old tweets takes a ton of tedious one-by-one clicking. So it's interesting to hear now that Twitter's thinking about changing things up and injecting a bit more ephemerality into your permanent record. Product lead Kayvon Bakepaw get out of my sight ad who apparently got engaged this weekend congrats oh we're fawning over you in the media thank you twitter executive uh spoke with the verges nalai patel and casey newton on vergecast and talked about the company's desire to make tweets more ephemeral here's what he said ephemerality I view that as another dimension that is really important for some customers, for some specific set of circumstances where you want to talk to people, but you're not quite sure you want it to last forever yet. And so I think as a dimension to focus on as a specific customer problem, absolutely. I'm very interested in exploring how we might give customers more control. He means journalists. 
Where ephemerality is just one of those dimensions, I think there are other dimensions that, while we can get excited and talk about ephemerality because there's lots of standards of other how other apps do this, I think other dimensions like control around who can see or control around who can participate is really critical. It's actually quite difficult to have a fireside chat when you have a billion people screaming in your ear. Like, imagine we had tens of thousands of people in the studio with us right now talking into our ear while we were trying to talk to each other. I think that's another dimension of how our conversation features work or uh, how it doesn't work today. That's really important to us. That and ephemerality. Did I say ephemerality 40 fucking times? Because it's the buzzword. I'll say it again. I believe it's up there as well. So you should expect to see from us various product features because there's no silver bullet for all of these things. But you should expect to see various product features that try and nail different com uh, different intersections of the spectrum. So then one of the interviewers says, I'll tell you, my request, I would love to set all of my tweets to just go private after a year, basically. This is the journalist talking. And the reason is just that cultural standards change enough that I either have to delete all of the tweets on a regular basis, or I could just set them private, right? Because we've now seen bad actors digging into people's old tweets, as in... <laughs> Journalists digging into people's tweets, not bad actors. You digging into journalist tweets, you're a bad actor. Taking them out of context and wreaking all kinds of havoc. So I would just love a way to never have to think about that again, basically. I mean, journalists' careers end because someone digs up an old tweet, you know. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you and your career. Fuck a guy raising charity for our fucking, you know, charity money for a child's hospital. But the journalists' careers are ending now. You know, the people that actively started this, their careers are ending. So now it's bad, Twitter. So they put the Twitter exec on the spot and they say, hey, when are you going to fix it? Because we need it now. Everybody. Th dude, again, cite the book. John Ronson, you have been publicly shamed. A history of everybody on social media that got fucking wrecked by journalists looking for hate clicks. And sending tweets viral. And now that it's happened to a couple of journalists a few times, because guess what? Journalists like to make out that the moral fucking arbiters of everything, but they are fallible. And actually, if you go look at the rates of alcoholism, way more fucking fallible than you. Now Twitter must protect them. So here you go. Journalist careers end because someone digs up an old tweet. What does the Twitter exec say? Check this out. Mind blown. Fear of speaking in public and fear of retaliation or fear of being harassed and harassment means many different things to many people or fear of being held accountable for something that is not what you meant. These are some of the biggest reasons why people don't tweet, which is why we actually take this very seriously, they said, having turned a blind eye for years while you get wrecked for 10-year-old tweets in the public domain. There are many different product solutions. Auto-deleting tweets is something that we could do. We have thoughts on other things that we could do as well. The point is this problem we're hyper-conscious of and we believe that we're getting people to feel comfortable talking in public is critical. 
was super interested in coming up with multiple solutions to solve it. We, we are here to serve you, dear journalist. Danile asks whether on whether that can mean auto-deleting tweets after a certain time. So then the Twitter executive says, I do think that's a form of ephemerality, my buzzword for the day for sure. And I would say it's a don't take this the wrong way. I think it's a less interesting solution to the problem. But it's absolutely a form of ephemerality. But we're interested in exploring a couple of the solutions that have the same potential effect of you not worry, uh, not having to worry about what you what you the journalists say, lasting forever, but giving you some of the other control that I think is missing. And then we get to the coup de gras. So they announced it, guys. This was uh, in October. By November, because journalists had complained about it, hey, Twitter may fundamentally change how retweets and mentions work. Well... How are you going to change that, my friends? Do let me know, Nick Stat of at Nick Stat of The Verge. Twitter leadership has made its goal over the last few years to be more transparent about its decision-making and to provide more detailed roadmaps for when new features and other big changes come to the platform. Just look at CEO Jack Dorsey's rather epic multi-tweet Facebook takedown when he announced the platform's political ad ban campaign last week. In that spirit, Dontley Davis, Twitter's Vice President of Design and Research, yesterday released um, a list of features he said he's excited to explore in 2020. Let's have a look at the features, guys. Features I'm looking forward to in 2020. Remove me from this conversation. Don't allow retweet of this tweet. Don't allow people to at me without my permission. Remove this at me from this conversation. And tweet this only to... A hashtag, interest, all my friends. So, these, yeah, and still no edit function, yeah. And th these do actually um, see, seem to serve a certain class of people. Interestingly enough, The Verge identifies this. Two of these features stand out. The first is the ability to disable a retweet on your tweet. That could help prevent its spread throughout the broader Twitter network in the event you're concerned malicious people or other bad actors want to signal boost it in a way to direct negative attention to you. In other words, it's an anti-harassment feature. Short of making your account private, which may not be to your best interest, if you're a public-facing individual, like a journalist or artist, I mean, you know, again, an completely antithetical, journalists are just fucking dirtbags, artists, you know, whatever. Um, I don't see many artists utilizing this feature, but fine. This may be a useful tool in helping blunt the viral spread of a tweet you feel is being misinterpreted or wielded against you for reasons unrelated to the actual content of the message. This, of course, would not stop people from going to your profile and looking at the tweet there, but it does seem like a genuinely smart approach to promoting healthier conversation and reducing toxicity. So in other words, here's what's going to happen. I'll spell it out for you guys. 
journalists with really big followings they say something stupid and horrific and and they need to be held accountable for it they can now just set it so you can't retweet it none of us can retweet it so it's just there on their platform and all of their followers go oh it's actually good you said this is actually good they take your tweet highlight it they can't retweet it tweet quote it can't retweet it can't spread it you can't spread it you can set it so you can't spread but they got a bigger following than you so you still get fucked <laughs> you mr 50 follower andy you still get wrecked by the outrage mob they can't because they are the outrage mob remember 10 percent of twitter is responsible for 90 percent of the tweets in sort of some perverse like how capitalism works so they with their network can embarrass you and ruin you anytime they want good luck ever doing it in return isn't that good isn't that isn't that exactly how we want twitter to function these elite journalists having access to by virtue of their audience power over you that you now can't counter by making a tweet go viral as an independent individual it references the article i just read you but these changes are going to come at twitter my friend and look at this Dantley said when a bunch of people were like yo these ideas are shit give me an edit button you dumb cunt he said thanks for the feedback and discussion on the ideas that i'm excited to explore in the future our goal is to continue to improve the public conversation on twitter and getting feedback from the community on our ideas is helpful as we prioritize our work let me tell you if you want to improve the fucking discourse on your platform stop letting these fucking blue checks at meaningless publications by the way you verified people with like 50 fucking followers anyway get them take their power away did the report where they're like 90% of your tweets, did that not mean anything to you? No, they've complained now, so we must, we must fix it. Yes, sir.